You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello and welcome to the final episode of our George Romero trilogy here on the Oz Network. At least until 20 years from now where we decide to come back and do Land of the Dead, Survival of the Dead, and uh, Podcast of the Dead, or whatever else he uh, is going to have posthumously in his career. Uh, We're very happy to be here to talk about the end of this series uh, very sad to be here to talk about George Romero for the last time. Uh, my name is Colin, and I have lots of opinions on this movie and kind of want to yell every word of this podcast. And my name is Ben, and joke on them! Joke on them! How long do you think we would last yelling at the level that these actors <laughs> yell for an hour and 40 minutes? Uh, well, I, I would be fine, but you have a baby, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can hear a screaming baby. <laughs> I have no life, no nothing near me, so, you know, I can I can yell all day if you want me to, but... Uh... Dad's not going to come in the room and say, keep it down. No, he's at work. He's cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> he has a job. He's all right. <laughs> he's got a life. He has things to do. I'm just podcasting, so... Um... Yeah, as I said, this is uh, bittersweet. It's the end of a trilogy that I think we've both come to love, even if we weren't, like, big fans of beforehand. Uh, Not quite sure how I feel on this one. I don't know about you. Uh, I guess, I I don't know, every single one of these movies is very different, at least with the setting, the message or the story they're telling. Uh, The era is very different. I mean, I think with Night of the Living Dead, it is very distinctly a 1960s movie very distinctly 70s for Dawn of the Dead, and this is very distinctly 80s. Um, it almost times felt a little bit too... It felt like the 80s vibe was almost taming the movie a little too much for me, and maybe it would have had a different impact in 1985. But I don't know. There's a lot of things that I liked in this and a lot of things I didn't. I think um, just going through a bit of history, this was the one I mentioned in the last two episodes that I didn't see. When I originally watched Night of the Living Dead, just late night on TV, thought this is great. And then you know a year later found it and Dawn of the Dead in a bargain bin. I'm like, oh, Dawn of the Dead's great. And I was ready to watch Day of the Dead. And uh, I would have been willing to go out and buy it. I'd already seen Land of the Dead at this point, you know, just looking through. Oh, I wonder what other George Romero dead movies there are. And when I started reading just the reviews there were about 10 years ago for this movie, it kind of turned me off of watching it. And in getting ready to do this, I mentioned this last week that like the reviews seem like they're more positive now, ten years later. So I was thinking, well, maybe you know, there's going to be something here. But I don't know. I, I think I'm kind of siding more on some of the negative sides. But I mean, there's still some really good stuff in here. It's just I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. Yeah, I, I mean, my history again reminding I'd never seen any of these, so these are all just brand new to me. And um, yeah, again, went into this with no expectations. Uh, I mean, there was lots of parts of this I actually did enjoy. There were some parts where it was just kind of like it's just men yelling at each other. So I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely, yeah, definitely get the 80s vibe for this one big time. Um, and I found, I mean, this one had a lot more, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, a lot more of the jump scares in this one as opposed to the mm-hmm. other two that we had. The opening scene in particular, I'm uh, going to say, shit myself for that one. I was not expecting that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was a couple other ones there that didn't really. But, I mean, it was still, there were parts of it that I enjoyed. I, there were some characters in this one that I actually really, really liked. And, um, you know, it's not like uh, Dawn of the Dead where it's kind of like the four main people who are basically yeah. the only ones in it you just all love. Like this one, you definitely had some forgettable ones. You're like, oh, they died. Oh, no. 
Um, but there were, oh, let me Google his name. I got to write it down yeah, in my notes. It's kind of like, you know, the, the part where they're like, oh, there's 12 people left. Sorry, hang on. That, let me rephrase that. There are 12 people left! Um, <laughs> but, like, you, you kind of, like, find yourself counting them. Oh, are they nearly all dead yet? Um, but there mm. are definitely, like, there's at least one in this movie that I really, really loved. He could be up there with one of my favourite characters in all of this entire trilogy. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be just it's the same one. Yeah, it's just interesting in terms of how this was done. Um, and I, I think it had some good elements to it, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. And, there, yeah, I'm probably, again, agreeing with, I think, everything that you ultimately said, except I didn't buy it in a bargain bin. Yeah, I didn't buy this one either. Oh, that's I right. Sorry, I listened to you. That's fine. But, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the first thing you mentioned there was interesting about how, you know, this has like a much bigger cast, but yet I think it feels like a very small movie. And I don't know, in, in a way, I think that if you know some of the history about the movie, and this is one of the reasons why I was turned off of watching it 10 years ago, is that I guess the way the story was spun, you know, back then or in the past is that Romeo had this big, massive idea for it. You know, what he referred to as the Gone with the Wind epic mm. of zombie movies. And his script was like twice the size of a regular film script. And it would have been just a huge thing. And then they slashed the budget in half. You know, I mean, still, it's a low budget movie, even if the budget had been up there as it originally was like $7 million or something. But, uh, you know, they cut the budget and the script just kept getting scaled back and scaled back. There's more characters in this. Um, the location, I guess it covers a lot of ground, but it's just it, it's not like visually striking the way the mall is, even though it probably costs more to build these sets, whereas they filmed at a regular mall. I just I feel like Night of the Living Dead was kind of this claustrophobic movie about being stuck in a farmhouse, and it felt more uh, larger scale, just because you're hearing all the stuff that's happening on the outside world. Dawn of the Dead, you know, it's in a mall, it's a big location, you know, obviously it was cheaper to film in if they're doing it after hours, but it felt larger scale again because you know what's going on outside the world. You don't really know what's going on outside the world here, so even though this whole underground base seems big, it doesn't look visually striking, and the movie just feels cheaper than the first two, even though the budget was probably twice the size of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, yeah, I can see that, but I, I will say I think what worked in this one in terms of, you know, not knowing what's happening on the outside world, I think that made it a lot tense a lot more tense the, the tension was higher and i guess kind of like i don't say it was necessarily scarier but i don't know like as much as i like and we talked about this in the first two i, I like kind of these survival movies or like end of the world movies where we're living it through the um characters eyes and we're not getting you know the army and the military and all that sort of stuff in terms of their you know response i kind of like this one how we didn't get any news from the outside and it's all these it's just speculation and it kind of you really felt the desperation from these characters in this one rather than the other two where they're kind of, you know, they're surviving the other two and they're doing what they can, but you're at least getting some updates about what's happening. This one, mm -hmm. there's no updates at all. We heard there's no communication. We haven't heard from them in, what, like a month, you know. Oh, surely there are people still alive in Washington and even in, like, the opening bit where they're kind of in that town and searching for people and just, I don't know, I just kind of liked the desperation aspect of this one because you kind of feel mm -hmm. at this point it's getting like you know what do they say at one point four hundred thousand to one or something like that so kind of it's built up on the first two that this is really fucked the world over that everybody is literally basically wiped out so i i don't know i yeah. like that tension that that brought with this but i can see the things you're saying i just yeah i just i like that side of what this film brought 
And I mean, I, I agree with all that, especially in like the opening scenes, you know, looking through this empty city. We don't really get a timeline in this. Um, like at any point, do we even get an idea of how much time has passed between Dawn of the Dead and this? Because Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead are supposed to be three weeks, even though it's like, you know, a decade as far as filming. And here we are 18 years maybe after Dawn of the Dead's come out or uh, Night of the Living Dead's come out. I mean, it clearly looks like the 80s, but it's not like that is really the the you know general rule in these movies. To me, it felt like this has probably got to be like, you know, at least a year after everything has happened, you know, maybe even later than that. But was there anything official in this movie that uh, I missed? I, I didn't pick it up, I will say, yeah. on uh, IMDb Trivia. And I don't think I'll read all of it because it's a bloody long paragraph. But uh, somebody kind of addresses the uh, continuity issues. And basically, <laughs> this person has just gone into this rant about what could have been and what the timeline could be. And then they've literally said, this is a part of what it says, it says, this is one of many continuity series, e.g. Superman, Austin Powers, etc., affected by time slip, wherein more time has passed in the real world between entries, which (laughs) takes place in less time, yet each is set in the time it was made. I I don't even understand that, but for some reason, they've found a way to reference Day of the Dead, Austin Powers, so okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, that voice is now Ben's impression every time he wants to mock a know-it-all on the internet. <laughs> uh, written here by Colin Hilding. Oh, shit. <laughs> I had some issues. With <laughs> Sorry. <yelling>. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I agree with everything you said, and I like that. I feel like there's times where... We're almost jumping too much in the movie. There's times where that really interesting idea of the survival and not knowing what's out there and, you know, the paranoia of, you know, what if we're the last people left? It just gets lost in all these scientific experiments and, you know, soldiers versus scientists and all that. I don't know. There's just too much stuff in the middle. I think feel like this is one, if George Romero condensed a much larger script to get out of this, I feel like he maybe could have condensed this one a little bit more just to, you know, tighten it up a little bit. But let's just kind of jump into the movie here. Um, I guess whereas Night of the Living Dead just open on two people, you know, brother and sister slash husband and wife in a car. For <laughs> Johnny, which, by the way, let's give a shout out this week to uh, Anthony Rossi, occasional guest on the Oz Network, who found the death count of Night of the Living Dead. Yes. Where it counts Johnny's death as a blow on a tombstone where his head lightly bounces off of the grass. <laughs> We're still saying hashtag Johnny Lives Matter. Um, let's go from that into Dawn of the Dead, which starts on this very eerie woman having a dirty dream on a shag rug. <laughs> Here we have something, I guess, even more bizarre, this this empty white room and the calendar. You know, I, I guess the calendar is, I guess, counting down the days of October here. So we get the timeline of this movie, at the very least, as we'll find on the end. And we get a nice little soundtrack for Stranger Things playing in the background. <laughs> Some of the bad 80s music that maybe kills a bit of the tension in this movie. And here's the moment where Ben had to change his underwear. <laughs> hands coming through the wall. Get the shit out of me. I was not expecting was that at good. all. <laughs> yeah, it was good. And yeah, I think that there's a really only one other moment in the movie that kind of uh, was up here at this level. But that was good. And of course, it's just a dream. Uh, this is what women of a zombie apocalypse evolved into. A few weeks ago, they were having dirty dreams. And now they're <laughs> just having nightmares. Uh, the dirty dreams are over because well, it could be considered uh, a dirty dream if she wanted all those hands on her. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. 
if she woke up from this dream on a shag rug going, oh, like in the last one. Johnny, maybe. Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> um, yeah. It's basically a waking up from a dream, and you know, we go into this opening sequence where the credits are playing as they're kind of going through these deserted streets. You know, the idea being that they've left their base, this you know last underground bunker they're in, and they're just kind of searching you know the nearest cities for any survivors, and all they're seeing is zombies. I love the way the opening credits play over this, mm. uh, and the effects. I mean, this I'll have no complaint for. The makeup effects in this movie, what you see in the opening sequence alone can blow away 90% of makeup effects that you see in present day movies. And this is just the opening credits. I mean, it's amazing some of the stuff they can do in this here. Um, I don't know why the zombies have evolved from blue to green. I guess, you know, this is their uh, their evolution. They were kind of just... I guess black and white in the original <laughs> to blue in Dawn of the Dead to green in this. Uh, the change in the color scheme, I don't know, maybe there's some trivia for that. And uh, yeah, I guess they, they don't find anything in the city, so they go all the way back to their base. Uh, this crew that we meet, uh, the main characters, now I don't even remember half of their names. We have uh, Sarah, who's the lead in this movie. She's a scientist, I guess, in a plaid shirt. My wife pointed out that at the zombie apocalypse, the only way you survive is by wearing plaid, apparently, because everybody <laughs> in this movie is wearing it. Um, who are the other ones we have? We have John, who's... Is he a scientist? What is he? Uh, like, the Rowan Atkinson lookalike. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you get Rowan Atkinson <laughs> vibes from him? Was he... Yeah, no, I remember not not at this point, but there's a part later on where I'm like, Rowan Atkinson! <laughs> <laughs> Black Adder in the zombie apocalypse. Um, yeah, I don't know what he does. He just says Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and drinks. Uh, <laughs> that's about all I can tell you that he does in this film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um... And here's the one which I'm hoping is your favorite character as well. Uh, the only man who still believes in a life on an island after <laughs> a zombie apocalypse. Uh, our pilot, uh, what's the pilot's name in this? I don't even know. It's Bill, isn't it? Is is that? Is it Bill? Is it? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> pilot. We watched this movie. <laughs> Bill. Uh, let, let me click no, on his No, it's John. Picture. It's John. No, Bill. John is him. Bill's the, um, the other guy. Bill uh. no. <laughs> the cast is not the strong point of this movie. We'll just say this now. This is going to become painfully clear. Uh, okay, so John is the pilot. Now, this is my favorite character and probably the only character I really love in this movie. Is this the one you're talking about or is there somebody else? Uh, I've got somebody else, but I, I, I'm not saying I don't like John. I love John. Uh, and my, my opening line was nearly going to be, forget it, Billy boy. It's a dead place, but I can't do a very good Caribbean accent. But um... I, I just wanted, you know, <laughs> we talked about getting what's his name from uh, Dawn of the Dead onto the voiceover. Uh, I want to get John or Bill or whatever your name is. <laughs> Terry Alexander is the actor. Hey, he shares my birthday. That's cool. Uh, March 23rd. Good day. I just want him to come on, and we have to get him to intro this entire thing, talking about, let's find us an island someplace. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just do this entire episode and, like, previously on the Dead Series, we watched <laughs> on the Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> it's not the best We're accent finished. in the world. <laughs> We'll finish the George Romero trilogy. Find us an island someplace and spend some time that we have left soaking up some sunshine. Do you want to kiss my lucky egg? Uh. <laughs> Are you dead, Senka? <laughs> I gotta go, you know. Hold it, hold it, hold it. 
no, I mean, I love him. He's a, he's a fun character. He's the, probably the only character in this movie that makes sense. You know, we talked about Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, that there are strategies that the low-level characters of these movies say that make sense. Like, in Night of the Living Dead, uh, and, sorry, we're forgetting the name. All these George Romero fans that are correcting us. The father, I guess, in Night of the Living Dead that ends up getting shot by our hero because he had the only smart plan, let's stay in the cellar. Uh, and, and in the second one, we have idiot over actor. It's like, it's like any island would be good, you know? <laughs> and here, we have to, it all comes down to this. Either stay in the cellar or go to an island and you'll survive. Now we know how to survive the zombie apocalypse. It's taken three movies for George Romero to tell us this. So let's be honest, Tasmania, we're safe. Uh, <laughs> we're good in Tasmania we're fine <laughs> the mainland of Australia can get wiped out but for once Tasmania is the place to be okay yeah. uh, everybody come to Tasmania we won't have zombies um, yeah I mean it's a logical idea and they I mean they're in Florida as we discovered so it's not like they don't have a shortage of islands nearby you know mm-hmm. I mean just jump over to Nassau they can film a James Bond movie while they're there um, <laughs> you know uh, I guess when they get back to the base, the only other scene we really have here is just we find out that they kind of catch zombies now. And this isn't like the extermination of zombies in Dawn of the Dead, which is the characters we're introduced to. Here, they're studying them. This is kind of a combination of soldiers and scientists that are left here. And they're just catching these things to experiment on, them, which is really the conflict of this movie. Uh, why some of these zombies are still wearing helmets. Uh, if, if we are a couple of months into the zombie apocalypse, a couple of years, a couple of decades, who knows? Some of these zombies are really worried about head trauma. <laughs> which they should be. And in bride gowns. And... <laughs> and let's just jump the gun. I love the 12-year-old football-playing boy <laughs> zombie that we see at the end. Not to mention James Bond man in the tuxedo we see. And stereotypical fat zombie. Uh, this time he's going to be yeah. shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I guess, a George Murrow thing. He has these fun little zombies in the background that uh, you don't always notice them unless you're really, you know, watching the background click carefully or freeze-framing it. But, I don't know, they're, they're catching these zombies for what reason? We don't really know. Uh, we have a bit of a fight scene here as we already see this conflict between the soldiers, the scientists. Basically, this conflict between everybody. I mean, I kind of thought throughout half this movie it's the conflict of the soldiers and the scientists, but it's really just everybody fighting with everybody. You know, and there's this brief scene where they're dangling over the ghouls or zombies, and uh, I guess we'll kind of cap it there. This opening sequence, as you kind of touched on earlier, uh, searching for the other survivors, and then the introduction to the base and what they're really doing with capturing these zombies. All right, so that's the first half of the movie that Colin's just covered. Uh, <laughs> where are we? Um, <laughs> going through my notes here, going, oh, shit, all right. Um, I just, when they're in the, this town or city or whatever it is, um, I, I, I do, I do like it. What is his name? John. Yes. Our pilot friend. When he's, what is he like? I'm going to keep the engine running and you're going to go there and you're going to, I take off if I see a sign of trouble. Like, that is a terrible accent. I cannot do Any that. sign of trouble, I'm going to an island. <laughs> exactly. We're going to Tasmania. It's better there. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I like it when... Uh, oh, um, what's, hang on a minute. Billy, the one that I said before, that's uh, Sarah's boyfriend, isn't it? Miguel is. Miguel. Oh, fuck. I don't... <laughs> so Sarah was the Frankenstein doctor? <laughs> Sarah was the woman? <laughs> oh, and Bub is the colonel that's in charge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Johnny was... Hashtag Johnny Lives Matter. Um... I mean, I, I do. I, you mentioned the makeup. That that sequence, that one where the guy's tongue like falls off his face, 
Yeah. Like, that is gruesome, but it looks awesome. And can I just say, this is the first one of all three of these movies I've actually watched where I thought, fuck, those zombies could probably kill me. They're not, like, so slow that you can just knock them over and that. This, this movie, the entire time, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going near them. They're going to, like, suck my blood. Or They're not vampires. But, you know, they're going to eat my intestines, basically. <laughs> Rip my head off, as we will see at some point in this film. But that's, that's like, um, that's super creepy, that town. Like, there's that one with the spiders crawling on him and, like, the skeleton with all the crabs. There's an alligator in the, the bank. I've been to Florida. That just happens anyway. Zombie apocalypse or not. <laughs> I'm with, get, get some money out. Oh, there's an alligator in the bank. Oh, welcome to Florida. Um, That's what happens when you're on a peninsula. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's not part of the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> welcome to Miami First National. <laughs> That's just kind of what happens. Um, but... Yeah, the I, were you with me, Colin, and very sad to learn that Major Cooper died. Not Major Cooper. No, no, he was my favourite. He had so much to live for. I know, but he's dead. Um, yeah, I just I like this scene when they're all in the they're having the the fights. I just love the the. It's not the main ones. It's the random soldiers in the background. There's a John Goodman lookalike. I can't even remember his name. <laughs> um, let's just call him John Goodman. Rowan Atkinson. Uh, <laughs> Saint Bolt, um, <laughs> the boyfriend Sarah, um, angry Sarah the boyfriend, <laughs> angry military man. <laughs> just, we're huge fans, huge fans. We pay attention, um, but I just love just the way they're yelling at each other. My favorite one, I I love Rhodes. I know he's just stereotypical, oh, no. but like I don't know. There's just something about like uh, just the way he acts. He's just like. You will listen to me. I'm in control. <laughs> it just <laughs> sounds like when we did the Hulk that time on the on Double Seven. Um, it's just something about his character that I just—I mean, he's an absolute dick and he's an asshole. But I just really liked him. I liked Rhodes. I, you know, what's his name? Joseph Pilato. Who I'm just looking at a photo here, and he just looks like um, he's stuck in the '80s. Uh, he just looks like <laughs> that Rambo. picture was taken three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, I, I like it when they're uh, they're in the cage and they're what's that? The John Goodman guy is like biggest piece of meat right here, and they're making like dick jokes. And then was it Captain Rhodes implies that he's going to like rape Sarah? I mean, it wouldn't be a, a survival movie with like one woman without a rape reference. Um, <laughs> but I just want to point out, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about this as well. Um, was it Laurie Cardile, Cardile, who plays yeah. Sarah? She's awesome. She's a great oh, character. Yeah. Like. I mean, we talk about, you know, strong female characters. We've talked a lot about, uh, in all of these films, that the, the main female protagonist in each of the film, I mean, even if they're meant to be sort of like this damsel in distress, they're never completely that way. And I think clearly Sarah's the strongest out of all. And so George Romero does a very good job with female characters in all of his films. And I know, obviously, like, Ripley from... Was this before or after Alien? It was after Alien, but before Aliens. Okay, I mean, she's obviously Which, talked up as, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I definitely think Sarah should be, the character at least should be mentioned, because she's great. She's fantastic, yeah. so. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think she's as interesting of a character, but that's kind of what makes her interesting. You know, she's she's really the only one in this movie that doesn't yell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, it makes her the least obvious choice of these leads these female leads but that's i think what what romero deserves a lot of credit for for one he doesn't really go out of the way to make it you know this is a female character he just makes them different and you know i defended a lot barbara in the first one 
and how she was, you know, some people criticize her, but it's like, but that's the way one person would react. And I know I've talked about all three of these movies that Romero is just sort of taking different types of personalities and kind of showing how they would respond in something like this. And she's really the only character in this, even though I'm definitely not as big of a fan of her as I am of uh, Mr. Pilot Man (laughs) (laughs) that we don't remember the name of. (laughs) His name is John Man. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that she's probably the most well-rounded character and, you know, a lot more to say on her later on, but I completely agree with you. It's really interesting the way that he portrayed her differently than his previous two leads. Yeah, and I've got nothing really a whole lot to add. I'm just reading my notes here. Just all the one-liners from the douchey military guys. Um, what is it? One of them actually says to the zombie, nice hat, asshole. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's the Those best. Those guys are occasionally fun. It's the same thing like you were talking about with um, Logan. Occasionally fun, I just feel like when they take up so much of the screen time just yelling and fighting and stuff it's just it becomes repetitive i think but here in the early parts i definitely was having a little bit more fun with them i just think with Rhodes, um i just like the way like yeah okay he's like your typical angry military man but i think the difference is is like you actually if you look at his character and what he's trying to think through it like he does like he's power hungry he wants to make it like the dictatorship he's in the military all that kind of stuff fair enough and we've got it we're meant to hate him but you know, I think a lot of the decisions he does in this movie are kind of logical if you kind of actually yeah. think about it. Like, yeah, okay, we're meant to be rooting for Sarah and, and John and all that sort of stuff, and we understand that. But there, I do feel that there are, like, many moments, like, when he discovers what Frankenstein's doing, I mean, yeah, you're going to get, like, holy fuck, you freak! Like, I mean, there's just certain aspects to Rhodes that I feel is definitely very logical and... He's kind of very an interesting antagonist in the fact that, yeah, we're meant to hate him. He's a prick. He's stopping people from doing this, that, and everything else. But again, on the on the grand scheme of things, if people had to listen to Rhodes, I don't think as many people would have died in this film. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I'll have more on him later on. Um, I guess this is kind of just this entire movie is the battle between Rhodes's logic and Logan's logic, and you know, both of them kind of have their faults. Again, interesting characters, I just feel like we're maybe too one-dimensional for the most part. But uh, I-, I will agree that the scenes coming up, which I guess we'll cover next, a lot to say of Rhodes. First of all, we have the lover spat. Aww. Oh, no. <laughs> Isn't it sweet? Domestic violence. <laughs> oh. um, first of all, maybe I was missing it here because I had a screaming baby in the room with me who was terrified <laughs> watching people's intestines being eaten. Oh, poor <laughs> Jamie. What about Casper? How was he? <laughs> But um, does it state that they're dating before this scene where he freaks out? Because I, I swear the first I heard about it was later on where, you know, um, Rhodes was talking about her kind of shacking up with some of the soldiers. Yeah, there's not. Some I mean, and the chem- the chem- there's no chemistry between these two either. So like, I think yeah. kind of when even when he mentions it, like you shacking up. I kind of, I didn't even think that they were together. I thought that was just kind of like a, a side ploy, like, oh, you know, clearly you're off, like, doing him or something like that. At no point did I actually legitimately think they were together until he's like, it took until he slapped her. Uh, I'm like, oh, typical 80s relationship. They're in love. <laughs> like, yeah, I... He slaps her around. She drugs him. Yeah. It's just your 80s your eighties marriage. Just, just the 80s. They'll put on some Frankie Goes to Hollywood and they'll fall in love later <laughs> on. Like, I mean, it's... What, it's Cliff and Claire Huxtable in yeah. the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> this is what would happen. Except, except later on, one doesn't, you know, get arrested for, like, feeling up women. But uh, that's... <laughs> 
can, well, can, he does. He's just very rough in doing can it. Can we make Bill Cosby <laughs> jokes yet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yeah. I I didn't know. I I I think it, the way they kind of imply it. And again, there's just no chemistry between these two. So, like, at no point do you honestly, like, root for this relationship. It's like, oh, okay, cool, they're together, yay. Uh, I guess a couple of scenes, these are all the ones that will really introduce the characters and what the purpose is and the whole point of the movie here. As I said, the lover spat here, slapping and drugging each other. They're very kinky. This is an 80s thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Miguel, the most underdeveloped character in the movie... I kind of was, you know, asking about whether this was explained earlier on about them being a couple because I feel like it would have played much better if we knew that, if we had a few scenes because this is your traditional George Romero basket case character, the one that just loses it halfway through the movie and it's you. Yeah, exactly. This is me in a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) You are Miguel. (laughs) Yeah. Except I don't Um, slap women, all right? They slap me. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and guys slap you too. Yeah, You're everyone very slaps me. <laughs> just line up and slap Ben Knight. Get a hold of yourself, be a man! <laughs> but, I don't know, I feel he loses it too early. I, I think it was much more effective in the other movies where these characters start kind of losing their cool halfway through the movie because you see a difference in them. And this is the way he's introduced, and he really is just written out of the movie until he's bitten near the end, so... I just don't feel that like his character was used the way it could have here. Uh, we have the first of many long, <laughs> dialogue-heavy scenes of scientists and soldiers talking, coming up. Um, you sound like you love him so much. <laughs> yeah. Who's in charge? Well, our old, what was his name that died that we missed so dearly? Oh, Major Cooper. Not Major Cooper. <laughs> no, Major Cooper. Cooper's gone, sadly, so who's in charge? Is it Dr. Frankenstein, who's not even present for this meeting, which is part of the problem with him being the leader, I guess? Or is it Rhodes, who really should be the leader because he has the only smart plan, despite him yelling everything? People would probably follow him if he would just, like, take his voice down on a couple of hundred notches here. Okay, everybody, uh, let's listen. My name is Captain <laughs> Rhodes, and let's sit down. What if he just put on an accent? It's like, <laughs> Come on now, girls. <laughs> we just need to start shooting everybody. <laughs> He's man, the butcher man. He's not killing everyone, man. We need to go here, man. Because that's how they all sound. Yeah, exactly. Uh <laughs> But this whole conversation about who's in charge, again, it was interesting. I think it could have been about 10 minutes shorter. Um, I like that uh, uh, Sarah's basically saying, you know, we need each other. We need to work together. And Rhodes has a very smart response to this. Is, I don't think we need you scientists at all, which they really don't. I mean, at this point, it's, it's survival of the fittest. And we're going to find out later on about how irrational this whole plan of Frankenstein's is, which kind of ruins a bit of the movie. But... Um, yeah, we go from there into Frankenstein. We get to meet him. He's not there for any of the meetings. Um, I don't know. This is the worst leader ever. (laughs) But I think he's a fun character. I just, I don't get why there's any push for anybody to be like, oh, let's follow him. He knows what he's doing. He's the Donald Trump of George Romero movies. (laughs) He wants to build a wall between the zombies and the humans. He actually wants to tear down the wall. Yes. I don't know. He's, he's the Ronald Reagan of the... <laughs> <laughs> George Romero was tear down this wall. <laughs> uh, he's a very peace-loving man. He trusts these zombies. And that's basically what he's doing. is He's experimenting on them. He's dissecting 
them. So only I thought it was a really cool shot where we see just the brain attached to the rest of the body yeah. and it still functions. Selling what Romero's been saying from the beginning that, that you know you have to actually sever the brain or shoot them through their brain. Uh, makeup effects here are extraordinary. Nothing bad to say about that. I like here the, the one smart thing that's said where there's the fight that Sarah and Frankenstein have over these surgeries he's doing. It's like the amount of time it takes you to do this, the amount of resources it takes, this is not rational. <laughs> and she's still on his side, which is what I don't understand. But even she's saying, like, why are we experimenting on these things? And even when you find out that he has had this plan where he's had some type of breakthrough, it's not going to help them at all. Because they would, it takes them 10 seconds to kill a zombie. It takes them 10 hours to capture one, put it through surgery and everything. Oh, none of it makes sense to me. Uh, plot's completely lost here. Let's kind of group it off there with the introduction of all the characters. And anything else to add on Frankenstein here and his plan to save the world? The only bit I'll say just before we talk about that, I do like it when Sarah walks out of the room and she's like, Yes, sir! Fuck you, sir! <laughs> Like, she, I must have missed that. I had a screaming baby. <laughs> yeah, it just, I just love the way she kind of like um, storms out. And is that that's not the one where uh, Rhodes pulls the gun, isn't it? And t- tells it, no. no, that's the next one. Uh, I'll yeah. say something about that. Um, yeah, the makeup here is, is incredible. Like, this is We get a sort of a semi-jump scare, don't we, where that zombie kind of just like comes out of nowhere to like get Sarah. But when he's on the table and his guts like fall out of his stomach, like... That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> and they, they probably repeat that one shot. You know, they're not replaying the same shot, but they take the same effect and use it about four or five times in the movie, and it works every single time. Well, the, the one thing I was reading about this is that uh, it might have been more so when, you know, spoiler alert, roads get ripped apart, but uh, they actually use real pig's intestines, and I don't know if they did it for this scene as well, um, and, like, real animal blood in a lot of this. So clearly, you know, Peter and animal activists love this movie. Um, but... Yeah, the, like, just that brain bit, I'm with you there, that's awesome, and it's kind of, it's interesting, like, I, I agree with everything you said about, like, this makes no sense, but at the same time, I can also see it, you would you would assume that this would be being done, because we're humans, we want to experiment yeah. and find out, so I, I think, obviously, there would be these tests being done, you would assume it would be more on a, a proper level in, like, a city with, like, proper scientists and not this you know, weirdly creepy guy who's just walking around with blood-stained clothes and wanting food five seconds later. I was thinking, proper hygiene to start yeah. with. <laughs> and and I, I guess this dispels the question from the last one, isn't it? That, like, I thought when uh, thing I got the blood on him, that's when he turned. But it's more when you get bitten. So, obviously, my question from the last uh, recap we did for Dawn of the Dead is, like, does the blood turn you? Clearly not. Um... But yeah, it's it's interesting because I I mean I think you just summed it up perfectly. It takes like ten seconds to kill one and ten months to train one. But I guess kind of what would be interesting is maybe the whole point is like if you train one, can they train the others? Like in terms of like, does one go off to the rest of them? And like don't kill people. Like I I I, I don't know. Um, obviously not. Um, but I mean, I, to me, the, the interesting thing is, and, and is it mentioned? Correct me if I'm wrong. Like I would assume you would be experimenting on them to find a cure. So that you yeah. could, like... I mean, that's what happens in I Am Legend, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like, the one zombie mm-hmm. film that I have seen a few times. Um, clearly, I remember it. Um, but, like, I thought you would be, yeah, experimenting on these things to find a cure and not to train them. It, yeah, and I don't know. Maybe this is part where the plan doesn't really make sense to me because it doesn't seem as a, as effective, first of all, for the amount of time, which even Sarah brings up. So Romero's kind of addressing that, you know, that this is a crazy plan. 
But why would this be the first thought? Let's try and tame them so they can be pets for us and perform household duties and tasks and bring us our lemonade <laughs> put on our slippers so it's only going to be 50 years time until there's going to be media reports of like zombie lives matter like you know like <laughs> rights for zombies let zombies vote you know stop treating them like slaves they're people too like <laughs> that's a really so, bad reference ben to compare zombies to slaves i know hashtag, it's different we have our hashtag for the hashtag zombies right to vote <laughs> <laughs> Yes, in Australia, um, there'll be a plebiscite costing $122 million sent out to your letterbox soon. You won't get that joke, uh, Colin. But, no. Uh... <laughs> I, just want, I just want at some point to uh, have Johnson as like, Zombie Bob, bring me another coconut. <laughs> You're on my island. <laughs> island serving zombies. Kiss my lucky egg, Bob. <laughs> You're dead, Bob? Oh, you are. Never mind. Like, I don't know, his plan is basically to tame these things, but for what purpose? Once you've tamed them, I mean, there are parts of this movie where it seems like he wants to see if there's any memory that they originally have left in there, which obviously there is. That's kind of what we find out. But what is his purpose? That's never explained, and it makes no sense why he wants to do this, other than he's a crazy scientist. And if he's a crazy scientist, I think at this point in the movie, this would have been my more effective way of doing this, because I'm smarter than George Romero. <laughs> God rest his soul. <laughs> but if you're going to make this, make it where at some point your scientists are all... We have like this brief moment, but this should really be everybody against Logan, you know, Frankenstein. Because nothing he's doing should make sense to even Sarah. And, and she kind of says it here, but then she continues to go on to butt heads with the, the soldiers. It's just, I don't get it. Um, let's move on to the next sequences here. This is when you're talking about there was a standoff. We get more meetings. <laughs> this is the Star Wars prequels of George Romero <laughs> movies. <laughs> Trade talks and <laughs> conversations. It's, it's just boardroom meeting after boardroom meeting, and we're getting the same conversation again. It's all interesting stuff, but we've kind of you know heard it once and seen it all. Uh, this is the standoff you're talking about, where they pull the guns and everything. The first of many gun standoffs <laughs> we're going to have in this movie. Uh, we get the nightmare following this. You know, this is the scene. First of all, I just want to point out during the standoff where Rhodes actually had a point as far as I'm concerned. I think you know, Rhodes has a brilliant point in all of this scene. Just jump yeah, ahead. You know, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, again, this is where Romero kind of has this thing of the villain character of the movie. Like, we go back to the first one. Sorry, I forget the name of the character. You know, the father in Night of the Living Dead. who He's portrayed as the villain who's allowed to be shot in the face by our hero for no reason. And yet he had the only plan that made sense. The bikers, who are portrayed as the villains at the end of Dawn of the Dead, their plan makes sense. They're like, listen, don't leave us out here to die. Let us come in and share your wealth. <laughs> and here we have Rhodes, who's the villain, who has the plan that makes sense. And uh, it's kind of a weird thing Romero does, but maybe at the same time that's what makes these movies appealing, is that you're not just buying into this whole they're the hero and they're the villain thing. Um I love the scene that follows this, the uh, nightmare. This has got to be your other favorite scene, the other one of the intestines falling yeah. out and all that. Yeah, Miguel's guts falling out, which is, of course, just uh, another uh, um, nightmare and everything. Um, we get the lover spat, volume two, which, of course, this is what happens when uh, couples work together. <laughs> um, and more and more fighting out in the hallway, all this. Then we get to the Jamaican beach theme room <laughs> now here's the man like 
we have this base, and as far as they know, they're the only humans left alive. So how the only couple that exists is Miguel and Sarah, I don't get. Because the, here's a subplot we could have seen where John is making, he's basically making a ploy here. And this isn't the way Romero's playing it, but it would have been, I think, a more interesting way to play it. He's making a ploy to take Miguel's girl here. Come into my beach theme room. They've got more chemistry than Sarah and they Miguel. So. And he even talks about here as like, we should be going off to an island, man, and having us some babies. <laughs> That's basically what this scene is. He's inviting her to run away with him and have a bunch of sex and repopulate the world. Have my baby you- woman. My penis <laughs> is bigger than Miguel. John's island baby plan makes more sense. <laughs> Let's be honest, Everybody, we all want to go on an island with John and have his babies. Uh, is that just me? I thought you were going to say Sarah there, but okay. Oh, Sarah, that's what I meant, Sarah. <laughs> but, like, everybody's plan makes sense in this movie except for Frankenstein's. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like that scene. I don't have a lot to talk about it and um, the, the whole island baby thing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds More like a tourism campaign. Come to John's <laughs> Island. Have John's baby. Hashtag John's Island making babies. <laughs> <laughs> we got to come up with something for that. Um, <laughs> there's one other scene. We'll get to the bub scene uh, after this. We'll kind of break off there if you have anything to add on this. Um, yeah, this whole this whole boardroom. I didn't look at it that way until you just mentioned it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the thing is, like Rose, everything Rose is saying completely makes sense. And, and the one thing though that I question here is when he pulls the gun and it's like sit down, and then like you know John Goodman shoot her. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. He's John Goodman, uh, <laughs> and that other scientist guy who is like Frankenstein's number two. That's Richard Dreyfus. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> We're just, you know, just labelling all these people. But, like, the point when he pulls the gun, he's like, Sarah, sit down, and, you know, and everyone's like, oh, shock, like, holy shit, oh, God, he's angry. Why don't they just shoot Rhodes? Like, there's, like, 11 of them. They've all got guns. Couldn't, like, John Goodman just be like, uh, no, I'm not shooting her. Bang. Right, cool, he's dead. I'm in charge. Uh, I'm asked to make some babies yeah. now. <laughs> but, I mean, and also, like, um, I mean, I guess jumping around with things, and this is in no way implying anything... Well, it's not sexist. I don't know why I'm worried about saying this. Like, if they're in, a, in a, they're in a survival situation like this, and there's what twelve of them, and there is one woman, and like they don't know if they are the only people left. Like, legitimately, they're going to have to maybe repopulate the earth at some point. Yeah. So, in all seriousness, they might all need to kind of have a turn with Sarah to help her get <laughs> pregnant. Like, I'm not trying to be mean with that. Like, I mean, the more well, sperm, the better. Like. Look. Miguel's shooting blanks at this point. Come on, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, Miguel is <laughs> cuckoo la la right now. His guts are falling out, okay? Like, I mean, seriously, he's got no sperm. So, like, I mean, you know, Rhodes is angry. He's pent up. He probably hasn't had sex in a while. That's why he's so angry. He has sex with Sarah Dunn. He's a happy man. He's like, oh, let's all, like, do shit and, like, sing kumbaya. But, like... Yeah, that's when he stops yelling is when he finally gets some... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting, but, like, the thing is, like, all jokes aside, like, I mean, Rhodes going crazy, the only thing, I guess, that doesn't make sense here is that he is legitimately willing to shoot the only woman who, I mean, because is, is this around about the time when John gives us the, like, he needs you because you are this person, he needs me because I can fly the whirly bird. I love how he calls it the whirly bird, that's awesome. Um, you know, he needs him because he's Rowan Atkinson and he'll be Mr. Bean. <laughs> He'll provide the comedy. <laughs> Everyone else is disposable. Like, he's a plucky comic relief. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Have you seen what he does with that skit in church with the, the lolly in his pocket and the snot? It's hilarious. He goes, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> and that car prank with that blue car with the three wheels. It's fucking funny, man. Um... <laughs> But yeah, like I mean, I, I, would Rhodes have really shot her? Because then all of a sudden, like a, a, a few scenes ago, when he's getting a bit rapey, like who's he going to rape? Rowan Atkinson? Like I, I don't see it. But um, yeah, the, this whole civilization scene. Oh, actually, oh, the domestic violence bit. Oh, great! He yells at her. He leaves. Oh, what a shame. Uh, hashtag Miguel and Sarah. We don't ship them anymore. Um, but like, what's he reading through? Like he's got like the archives for like the the budget of the USA and. Like, he's got some pretty substantial documents there. I didn't realise that Florida housed all that shit. I guess with Donald Trump playing golf there all the time, it's probably there, but, you know. Nuclear football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I just I do love that line I've written over to Start over, have some babies. <laughs> <laughs> that we got to get. Island, hashtag island baby making. <laughs> John's island making babies. <laughs> Come to my resort. If you're a woman, we'll have some babies. If you're a man, we'll probably have some babies too. <laughs> Come have my babies. I just want to give out my babies. Baby, baby, baby. Men can fly the whirly bird. Women can have a <laughs> baby making session with Johnny. Come sit on John's whirly bird. I, I, I don't shoot a blank. So on my island. My baby making island. John's babies. Hashtag John making a baby. Uh- <laughs> I don't know what else to add. I, I okay. it's great, cool. They're Let's in a talk about paradise. <laughs> Let's do. I just love that he dresses his room up. It is a theme room. I mean, yeah. this really is for making babies, you know. <laughs> and we've got the cheesy eighties music in the background. I mean, we are just like a couple of. I mean, he pours that entire bottle of like whiskey in the glass. He's probably shoved a couple of roofies in there. This is how I make my babies. I roofie your brandy. <laughs> Come into John's baby making loud. Look at it themed. I just wonder if, if you know, George Romero's original script had like multiple theme rooms. Like here's the Egyptian room. <laughs> here's the Canadian room. It just says sorry everywhere. <laughs> sorry for making a baby. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about Bub now? Since this oh, is I love Bub. Bub's awesome. <laughs> Bub's cool. Uh, I- Okay, I, I like Bub, but Bub seriously kills the terror of this movie. Because <laughs> let's talk about this scene here. This is a fun idea. And this is where, for me, the note I wrote here, and I don't know if this is going to make any sense, is that at this point, the movie to me starts to feel more like a TV pilot. This would have been like a great George Romero Day of the Dead TV show pilot than it does as a feature film. Because... It introduces an interesting idea. Oh, can we tame these things? Like, I'd like to see that play out over 12 episodes or something like that. But here in the movie, I mean, we basically have Frankenstein showing all that. And there's the one funny scene here where he, he tells the one zombie, sit in the dark and think about what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very nice. That wasn't very nice at all. <laughs> it's just so silly. Um, but this next scene where he introduces Bub... And he's showing all the things that Bub can do. Uh, and Sarah and the other guy, we can't remember the name of, yeah. are basically sitting there laughing behind the glass. Now, this, again, kills the terror of the movie when you've introduced Bub and the other characters are laughing at a zombie. Like, I'm not afraid here. Uh, I think there would have been a way to play Bub where you're not sure, is he going to rip off Frankenstein's face? Or is he going to sit there and listen to his Walkman of Beethoven? Like, who knows? 
it's just I don't know. I'm very much on the fence on Bub. I think Bub is an interesting idea that just plays out as being a little bit too dumb in this movie. I mean, it's the first time in all three of these that we've got a humanized zombie, isn't it? Like, I mean, you're meant to kind of feel for a zombie. Except when Johnny comes back. I thought, Johnny! No, Johnny! Um, maybe Bub is Johnny. May- maybe. I mean, it could be. They resemble each other. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I mean, They're like, coming road. <laughs> It's interesting that you point that out because, again, I don't think I really thought about it that way. But, uh, I mean, the bit when he gets that shaver, I thought he was going to, like, rip half of his face off and we're going to get some cool makeup. Yeah, that, that would have been great to see, okay, well, it's not the plan's not quite working. Yeah, but, I mean, like, I also see it is kind of because, like, there is part of me that is kind of like, oh, you know, can you train these? What happens? Oh. You know, so, How sweet. <laughs> yeah, oh, look at Bub go. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's It's... Now that you point that out, I'm kind of thinking it that way. But it's like with the whole gun sequence, and obviously, like he was what in the military, like when he salutes, um, yeah, and things like that. But Say hello, salute. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 kind of interesting though, because like surely Bub isn't the only one of these zombies. And again, is it just a case because they've captured him for however long? I mean, does this happen with any of them? And that's, I guess, what they're experimenting on. But, you know, like, if they've got these motor instincts, if they've got some memories, I mean, we saw that in Dawn of the Dead, it was kind of mentioned, like, oh, that, this is, was their past life, so here they are. Yeah. And obviously we had that with, um, what's his name, finding the fake wall and going through the wall. So, I mean, clearly it's been touched upon before. But, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's it's interesting that, that you... Um, that you point all that out. One thing, actually, I just one really interesting fact that I did read about Bub. You mentioned like the TV side of things. I don't watch Walking Dead. Uh, I don't know if you watch The Walking Dead or not. No. Clearly, we love zombies here on the Oz Network. <laughs> um, but apparently, uh, the actual character of Bub did make a an appearance in an episode of The Walking Dead. I'm reading here in an episode season four, the episode called Us. Uh, he was one of the walkers encountered by the characters Glenn and Tara in a railroad tunnel. So it was a homage, and it's apparently the uh, same actor that played Bub too. So uh, that, of course, is the uh, very esteemed Sherman Howard, or as he was credited as, Howard Sherman. <laughs> so, yeah, I just found that interesting. Him, like, uh, you know, uh, the name, I think the guy on, um, oh, what's the name of that guy on the Walking Dead TV show? Oh, um, he's in the, the Boondock Rick Grimes, isn't movie. It? Norm- is it Norman, Rick- Norman Reedus. Oh, I don't know. Well, isn't Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead? He's the only one I know. Yeah, well, I, I'm just thinking the actor Norm Reedus. I just want to see a scene like the parody of Skyfall where Bub is sitting there shaving Norman Reedus. <laughs> Funny penny. I, we see that razor skills come in handy as a zombie. I thought I thought you were talking about like a parody of the Skyfall. There's somebody sitting opposite Bub at a table like going, chair, woman. And he's like, me, me. <laughs> Skyfall, man. <laughs> like, what well, makes you think this is my first time? <laughs> Take the shot. Take the shot! <laughs> Listen to 007. <laughs> or we could do it with, like, John. Take the shot with my baby. Baby. Take the shot with my baby. Skyfall, baby. <laughs> what makes um, you think this is my first time? Baby. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot of commotion going on in the background. <laughs> oh, Jamie's excited. She's she's getting ready to go to John's baby making island, man. <laughs> Bub is back there doing some baking. <laughs> Where's the whisker? Is Casper like out of the cage or something like that? Like, what is happening? Yeah, we lock him up. <laughs> Shut up, I'm watching zombies. Eat human flesh. <laughs> you need um, to get Miguel on Jamie right now, I think. 
I gotta get a drug. <laughs> Oh, I just say you got to get a girl on Jamie. <laughs> Whoa, hang on. <laughs> Let's move on here, man. Um, so we have the zombie hunt gone wrong here. Which one? Uh, I'll, write this, I'll write this bit. Yep, I know what you're talking about. I'll yeah. watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> where basically the zombies get... This is the first time where you get that there's really a fear of these zombies, you know, because I guess they have a lot of control over them, capturing them and all that. But you have the, the one soldier... Uh, where he just starts screaming. What is it he's screaming here? Uh, um, Don't let it happen to me! Don't let it happen to me! <laughs> oh, when he gets... Yeah, shot in the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, Miguel gets bit, which... Oh, no, not Miguel! The character we haven't seen since his gut spilled out in a nightmare, and previous to that we hadn't seen since he slapped his girlfriend, <laughs> and previous to that we kind of saw him in the background in the opening sequence. Uh, I'm not really sad that he's bit here. I think there would have been more effective characters to have get exposed to this here i do love though this is probably my favorite individual scene of the movie is this moment where he is bit and sarah and other guy that we can't remember the name of (laughs) bill (laughs) sarah and bill are basically quickly cutting his arm off and then they use a torch like the hygiene here is incredible a torch, <laughs> a burning stick to cauterize his arm. And you're going, yes, burn him to death, burn him burn to death. <laughs> Come on, spray to the shoulder. <laughs> Come on, flame, do your thing. <laughs> but I just, I love this scene. This is the one scene where I absolutely loved it. Because, again, it's something that George Romero has this way of introducing new things into these movies that you haven't thought of before. Like, what if you caught it quickly enough? Like, is this something... They don't They don't have enough... They only got Dr. Frankenstein, who's more interested in getting zombies to listen to Walkmans <laughs> than actually doing, like, practical experiments to cure this. Does it spread quickly enough where if you cut off the wound, it's not going to, you know, mm. get into the blood? And that's basically what they're trying here. And unfortunately, we never get the answer to that. Thank you. Another problem I have with this movie. But I love this scene here, the whole zombie hunt and, you know, seeing the fear in the people. This is something that... We talked about the first two movies about how Romero will have... Maybe there is a reason why Bub works in this movie, just being a little bit goofy. I mean, we talked about Dawn of the Dead, how these really quirky, funny moments, these montages of them in the bank, you know, really worked with these terrifying scenes following it. And maybe this is the reason why he did it again. It's just his style. Bub will kind of make you laugh, and then we're going to terrify you with a man's arm being cut off. Yeah. Um, but this whole hunt is great here, and this leads to uh, the... Uh, the second standoff of the movie, I guess we'll cover this too. Uh, Bub listening to the Beethoven, and then we find out that he's feeding on flesh. Be- uh, not Beethoven, Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is feeding him flesh. I don't know why this is a big deal. Like, <laughs> do they say this? It's not like he's killing living creatures to do this. Like, is he keeping him alive? Is there an explanation in the movie why everybody freaks out over this? I guess... Is it the human aspect of it? Like, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like, I mean, we know this is what they want to eat. So it's kind yeah. of like you can't just feed them some peanuts or something like that. Like, I mean, you've got dead bodies. Um, you, you, I mean, you're not really... Yeah, you can bury them. But, I mean, as we kind of found out in that opening scene, like, the zombies are kind of attracted to that dead, freshly buried flesh. So it's yeah. kind of like that's probably a bad idea. So what are you going to do with these rotting corpses? You know, it's like... Like, come on. We're in a bunker. Yeah. So the zombie's going to want Miguel's arm or a can of chickpeas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Which one? I mean, it, it, yeah, it definitely makes sense. It's it's And it's it's kind of like... 
I, I kind of, I know I said back before, like Rhodes freaking out and shooting him, you know, eventually, which again, I, I kind of comes down to the shock factor. But I mean, it is kind of, it is a, a logical step. It's like feed him if you want to keep training him. Well, and it all comes to that reward based system that Frankenstein's like, you know, drilling into them. Like, well, you've got to reward them. It's like, well, sure. Yeah. Here's your <laughs> Beethoven. Oh, do you want to eat a f- piece of hand? Dangling doggy treats over yeah. them. <laughs> Who went to Miguel, finger? Who went to here's finger? Miguel's pinky. <laughs> here's his penis. Look at it. Look at little it is. Um, I don't know, but I still the second half of this I really do love it. Again, I just I don't think the Frankenstein character Logan makes any sense. Uh, he's a fun character though. Like I'm not gonna lie, he's one of the most interesting actors in this movie. There's a lot of overacting here, and whoever this guy is that plays Frankenstein Logan. I think he's one of the better actors in the movie. The character just makes no sense to me. Uh, but I love the whole standoff here, standoff number two or three that we're at now. Uh, and this one makes sense, where this is basically where uh, Rhodes loses it. And he has a point. <laughs> Not that the idea that this is what would push him over the edge. How about you're keeping zombies as pets now, and we have men dying to get these zombies to you, and you're sitting here playing checkers with them, you know? Maybe they should have been upset over that and not, you're feeding him dead human that is of no use to us when dead humans are everywhere. Um, But still, it's a very effective scene where he does shoot him and everything. Logan does a lot of yelling as he normally does. Um, We'll cap it off with the death of Frankenstein here uh, before we get closer into the climax. Only other comment I have here is, I think one of the other issues I have in this movie is I don't feel any of the characters are relatable in this movie. Uh, I, I like John, but I don't feel he's a relatable character because he doesn't have a lot of depth. I think that there is a decent amount of depth with Sarah, but you don't relate to her. Uh, and maybe part of the problem is that you don't understand any of these characters, or maybe that is the point of what Romero was doing here. Like this is really about how people just lose it, you know, when <laughs> they're isolated for this long from all of civilization. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, completely agree. I mean, kind of, as we said in Dawn of the Dead, you you had all four of them and you related to them and you felt for them, whereas, yeah, this time around, you you don't really. But, I mean, again, it's kind of, there isn't, I feel, a whole lot of effort in this entire movie for character development because it's just all, you know, process of survival. So I'd probably lean towards the fact, like as you just said, that I think that was probably the purpose of it because you can kind of tell in a film when they try and give you, like, character development and it just doesn't work or they're just lazy the way they do it. I feel there is no effort here to even remotely care for these characters in anything. Like, we never find out about their past lives or this, that, and everything else. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. They've got to survive yeah. and this, that, and everything else. Um, Logan is played by Richard Liberty, who sadly died in 2000. Um, he died of a heart attack. But he's in a lot of um, George Romero. He's in Porky's too the next day. Oh, Canadian. He was a Canadian film aficionado. Yeah. Um, was go. he also in Snow Buddies? Uh, I don't or know. Most Valuable but Private? I think he might have died before that was released. But well, Who is he in Flight of the Navigator? I love Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, so do I. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Watched it this morning, funnily enough. Can't stop watching it. Um, but yeah, uh, look, where do, where do we start with? Oh, the the whole yeah, the bitten in the arm and everything like that. One thing it's kind of in in the movies that I have seen in this day and age with the kind of we've talked about like the torture porn and the, the you know the saw movies and the final destinations. It's kind of to me there's not a whole lot of those that like you always know something's kind of about to happen. 
and it's kind of, it's not necessarily a shock factor. Whereas this, like, I find a lot of the really gory scenes and the over-the-top sort of gross-out scenes in in this film and, and all of the ones that we've watched, I think kind of, there is that, you're not expecting it. Like, all of a sudden, like, we're getting zombies biting necks and then getting shot in the head, and then all of a sudden, like, at no point was I thinking, like, oh, we're just about to witness somebody's arm getting chopped off. Like, when mm. she reaches for that machete, even at that point, I'm like, oh, no, she wouldn't do that, would she? Yeah. All of a sudden, she's like, meh, 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 like, holy fuck! Um, and, again, it looks fantastic. Um, and, yeah, it is a very interesting point of kind of, like, would this stop the spread of it, you know, going to him? And why isn't Frankenstein doing the research? Yeah, well, exactly. There you go. Like, keep the arm and go, here you go, Frankenstein. Here's the arm. Here's where he's bitten. Now, show where it's spread. This is another part, though, where I will say Rhodes kind of has a point. Like, yeah. we don't know if it's going to spread. Like, we can't keep him alive. Like, at any every single point of these films, we constantly keep getting the experts and the scientists saying, like, these aren't humans anymore. We need to mm. stop feeling things for these. These are just mindless creatures. And okay, it's tragic because this, you know, epic love story between Sarah and Miguel will end. Oh, no. <laughs> It's up there with Jack and Rose. and It's the Jack and Rose of 1985. It, it, it really is. It really is. So, like, please don't end it. But, like, it, this is the point where I'm like, Sarah, like, you're meant to be the smart one here. Like, just fucking let him die. Because, like, and let's be honest, if the, if Rhodes hasn't shot him right then and there, the, the end of the film doesn't happen. Because yeah. we don't have Miguel escaping deciding to be all, oh, I can't live anymore, let's just let all the zombies in and kill everyone else at the same time, which, again, I can't wait to get to that, because I'm still questioning why he does that. Exactly, <laughs> um, yeah. But, like, th- there's the point. That's, like, the whole thing. Like, okay, we realise there's, spoiler alert, a happy ending for Sarah, Rowan Atkinson, and John, but, like, at the end of the day, he couldn't know that. So, like, this is this is just ridiculous in the fact that Sarah does not listen to Rhodes. Again, he's the angry military man. He turns slightly racist. He's a sexist, bit of a rapist as well. He's not exactly the guy that you want to invite around on Saturday night for drinks. But he does yeah. have logical thought process, including, let's kill the guy that got bitten by a zombie because we know what happens to these people when they get bitten by a zombie. And how about let's kill the doctor who is valuing the life of the dead over the life of the living? <laughs> yes, I mean that whole the whole sequence there. Like, you know, I, I don't really have anything a whole lot more to to add on what you on what you said there. But um, I mean, look, I, I will say in all seriousness, uh, Joseph Pilata, his acting's great. Like, you can't take away from his acting. He he does this whole kind of like angry military guy fantastically, and his reaction when he you know sees you know his man there. I, I wanted him to be like my man. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> you know, mid eighties trope there. I mean, this was the same yeah. year as uh, View to a Kill, was it not? So, yeah. Um, hashtag download 007. But yeah, I, when he when he shoots him, like that is like what an AK forty seven or whatever. I don't know my guns. It's a machine gun. Okay, like how is he not getting torn to pieces? Like that is like <laughs> like pretty much point blank in front of this fairly large guy, and he probably takes at least fifty rounds to the chest. We see a zombie rip a person's head off in this film. Uh, and that is a zombie doing that, and we don't necessarily know that they've got huge amounts of physical strength. If I'm getting ripped to pieces by a machine gun that close, my guts are going everywhere, okay? Like, yeah. my my intent, like, again, I'm just, I shouldn't, I feel bad for ripping into the special effects in this film, because it is a great it's film incredible. for special effects. But just one minor little point. As somebody who likes seeing a person getting shot... Uh, <laughs> 
He's the, got the way that I everywhere. enjoy people burning, Ben loves to see a good person getting blown to pieces. I, I love a good, you know, body getting, you know, exploded from a shower of bullets. <laughs> <laughs> we're sick people, which is why we're covering George Romero. Yes, exactly. Um, and don't remember any of the characters or anything else that happened in the previous <laughs> two films. Huge fans. Just quickly going back to the whole idea, you know, my complaint about the characters not being relatable and that maybe that is the point of the movie. Uh, yeah, I think it would be interesting if that was the point, but there's one thing that goes against that being the point, which I'll get to on the end, but it's basically the fact that George Romero more so than in the first two movies draws a line in the sand with these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. And I think that hurts the movie because like we've been talking about so much, everything Rhodes says does make sense and you don't really relate to the heroes. So why should you be portraying them as heroes versus villains? Um, I will disagree with you on Joseph Pilato, Rhodes. Yeah, there are moments where you're like, wow, this is really good. But when all you watch him do is do the same thing for an hour and 40 minutes, I don't think that he comes across that great. I think he comes across as overacting. Uh, I would have much rather him had a little bit of range here. He's he's one-dimensional. That one dimension is kind of interesting to watch. Uh, but it's just too much. There's no variety I would here. say, I was reading some of the reviews, and a lot of the reviews were talking about overacting, and I definitely think there is some overacting in this film. And there isn't Dawn of the Dead, in all fairness. But, but the one thing I would say to, to defend Joseph Pilato, and again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in sort of, like what we talked about in the first two, you've got to take in context the era that they're in. And I, and I feel that this is the mid-80s. This is the style of acting that generally was in a type of film like this. I mean, you watch any film from the 80s, and I feel that this is kind of just the, the general trope of what you did in a, a 1980s sort of semi-action film. And yeah. I kind of think that's the style. Like, Yeah, like if you look at it as a context of him doing this in a movie today, of course it wouldn't work. But I, I definitely think that for a 1980s film and the type of character he is, I think he does it very well. But again, looking at his photo of what he looks like today he's still stuck in 1985 he's just grown his hair longer <laughs> um uh, he still has his own intestines so he's... well, well <laughs> i mean i can only see the top half of him in this photo so yeah. i mean i don't Anything know happened <laughs> 22 years <laughs> you got your maths worked out this yeah. time around <laughs> 22 minutes ago uh, this film was m- released oh shit right <laughs> so i guess what kind of getting the two sections of the climax here first part is basically now that everything's broken apart between these scientists this war of science and military the age-old war (laughs) the epic Uh, 1985 battle that history remembers (laughs) we have obviously sarah and john and bill our hero trio are trying to escape evil mr rhodes who just killed the real villain of the movie and they're kind of holding him hostage at one point, and they realize, okay, well, we need the helicopter guy to get out of here. So John basically becomes the guy everybody needs for the end of the movie here, which I think, again, could have been played a lot better. Just it's raise the baby, stakes up. baby-making ability. <laughs> the whirly bird. Everyone wants the whirly bird. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think that they could have played this a lot better because I, I, this is what I was saying in the beginning. There are things and ideas in this movie that I really love that I just don't feel they went far enough with. And I think this great standoff could have been, no, we got John. No, we got John. And you get this battle for who's going to get the pilot to get you out of there. Uh, but it does make sense. You know, you would need the pilot. You're not just going to blow everybody. Rhodes is a logical man in this movie. He comes across as very over the top, but everything he does is logical. And I would love for anybody to, to pinpoint 
a tactical mistake he makes in this movie. I guess, you know, he's military, so that makes sense. Oh, right. Um, it's probably a bit off, but <laughs> the racist yeah, bit. Well, <laughs> but, you know, besides those two. <laughs> um, but uh, while this is happening, the standoff over getting John, and of course, they're about to put them in the zombie traps, uh, the bait traps or whatever it is, uh, to lure John into piloting them away, the military guys. Um, we have Miguel escaping no. with... Maybe this was explained more. I hate when people say, oh, well, they had budget cuts or, oh, well, they deleted this scene, so that didn't explain it. That's, I'm not going to just heap praise on George Romero here. George Romero made some mistakes in this movie, and the biggest mistake is Miguel. Because here you have this dramatic moment. When it was happening, I could pinpoint where they were going with this. Miguel is escaping. You know, his arm's chopped off. What's he going to do? He's letting the zombies in. So you're thinking, okay, is he letting them in because he's already started to turn? No, because he lays there and lets them eat him then. Or is he letting them in because he has some master plan? And I swear I saw something in his hand that looked like a grenade or something. Now, two ways this scene could have been played. He lets them in because he's starting to turn, but he's conflicted. Oh, I don't know. Should I open the door or not? Or he lets them in. And this is what I thought was happening. They all storm on top of him. And Rhodes is opening the door and he's on his way out. And they're eating Miguel. Why are they eating Miguel? And Miguel pulls the pin on a grenade and blows himself and a bunch of zombies up. This is his attempt to give them an escape plan. None of that happens in the movie. All we see is Miguel run out there, let the zombies in, and then lay down for them to eat his face. Yep. Why? Yeah, I, I have <laughs> no answer. I'm exactly the same as you. I, I couldn't even logically think why the hell he does this. Yeah. And yet, it seems so effective when it started. And this is where the movie really picks up and gets exciting after a lot of talking in boardrooms. <laughs> uh, but I just, I don't get it at all. Um, and I guess from here, uh, Miguel doesn't blow himself up. Um, we get, well, we'll leave the bub bit for the second half of the climax. Let's just talk about that. The escape plan of the heroes and Miguel. Anything to add? Yeah, I, I just, I... It's one of these things that exactly everything you said, you, you can maybe go, oh, maybe he did this, maybe he did that. But, I mean, there's just there is no logic behind it. Like, as soon as you see uh, John kind of, you know, he leaves the room and you're looking, oh, shit, and he's clearly going to escape. I'm thinking, like, well, he's going to be a zombie by this point. He's going to, like, jump out and, you know, whatever. But it's just, I mean, he runs, lets him out, then gets eaten, and then lets him down in the elevator. It's kind of like, like, why, why, why? Yeah. Like, it, there's no purpose to this. And like, okay, the purpose is we get a bless you. Well, the purpose is we get a great, <laughs> <laughs> we get a great finale. But yeah. I mean, it's it's you know at least in like Dawn of the Dead, the whole the zombies in the mall is attributed to the bikies coming in and trying to get supplies. Like, I mean, there's there's just nothing here to to even remotely excuse this. And I I would love somebody listening to this who is a George Romero aficionado or knows everything about zombie films or, you know, is one of these or, people who writes blogs, what would you be doing in a zombie survival film? <laughs> like, or can find a good YouTube video. Rossi, get on that. Yeah, Rossi. Like, I mean, this, just, I, this, is, this is a huge, huge plot hole. This is just a huge, like, what the fuck is happening here? So, I mean, and it's sad to say all that because it does set up the whole end of the movie. But the the one thing I'll say, like, with John and, like, his kind of standoff where, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Rhodes, like, locks him in the zombie traps and then all of a sudden randomly just kills Richard Dreyfus. You know, what a tragedy that was because we got so close <laughs> to him. Um, I mean, John's right. He's like, well, no, you can kill everyone you want, but I'm still not going to do it. Like, how can they make him do it? Because they, he knows you kill me, you're fucked. So it's like, yeah, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, whatever. 
Uh, I mean, you know, Rhodes' slight mistake here, of course, again, going back to what I said about this survival situation, clearly you need the female to help reproduce the human population. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if Rhodes missed How anatomy How else are you going to be making the island babies? <laughs> you silly man! How are we going to have the babies? I can't have a baby with you. We can try and have a baby, but it won't work. I saw Junior, even though that's not released yet. It's 1985. Um, but we should cover that. That's a good movie. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it's an okay movie. It's uh, all right. <laughs> don't know if that sentence has ever been uttered before. Junior, it's a good movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's, it's not it's, that great. Arnold Schwarzenegger sure. pregnant. I mean, that sells itself. <laughs> like, that is honestly, like, the tagline. That is all they did with that film. They walked into, like, the, the offices of whatever company made it. I've got a pitch for you. Yeah, we're listening. Arnold Schwarzenegger is pregnant and has a baby. Sold. Let's make it. Um, you know, originally they had... A trilogy plan like Schwarzenegger becomes a kindergarten teacher, Schwarzenegger gets pregnant, Schwarzenegger saves Christmas. And yeah. then they did just decide to put them in separate movies. Would have been a great trilogy. Coming soon, the Schwarzenegger family trilogy to double, uh, not double seven is also available, but this is the Oz Network. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the name of our shores. There's so many babies out there. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, before we get to Bob, uh, I will say like when they're going through the what are they, caves or whatever the hell they are in there? You know, that's pretty tension-filled, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, And the scene when they oh, chop the, the head off the guy, like half oh. of his head, that's awesome. Yeah. I, did I miss that in my notes here? I, um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. might, I might be jumping ahead. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, 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 we'll talk about it now. I mean, because, yeah, I guess the whole zombie escape with them, we got the story out of the way. Uh, the, the shovel shots are great. I mean, there's several shovel things here. Uh, the shovel where he cuts the head in half and the eyes are still moving, like that oh, is yeah. the single best effect of the movie, maybe. One, one thing I said uh, just quickly, just on that, just kind of backtracking, I know we kind of lumped a lot of things in, but I also like that scene when the guy's head was on the table and his eyes yeah. were kind of like, I know we didn't sort of mention oh, that. But. And, and again, like it's very hard in today's day and age to look at a, a special effect and actually not know how it's done since we have so many special features. I'm looking at that thinking like, well, how did they do this? Mm-hmm. Um of course, then after we, we get the shovel slicing the head in half, and then we just get Bill hitting somebody in the back of the head with a shovel going, huh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was, um, I know we keep retro- referencing Bond movies, but let's be honest, James Bond's awesome. That just reminds me of um, In Tomorrow Never Dies. This is Carver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have some questions about a lot of the zombies we see here, and I, I mentioned earlier how I love that George Romero will just have your run-of-the-mill zombies, and then if you look closely, they're never like front and center, but if you look closely in the background or one quickly moves past the camera, you see a little boy wearing a football uniform zombie or man in a tuxedo zombie. Um, I have to ask, though, this is where the timeline... We know it's been at least a few months, Okay. I would guess more like a few years at this point because it was three weeks before the beginning between the end of Night of the Living Dead and beginning of Dawn of the Dead. We know that a few months passes because of the baby, you know, uh, in Dawn of the Dead. And there's lots of people in the world still at that point. Radios still work. They can't raise anybody here with top-line equipment. It's been a few years as far as I'm concerned. Some of these zombies look very green and old. Some of them look very fresh. The little boy football zombie and the tuxedo zombie look more fresh even their clothes don't look ripped up so who was out there within the last few weeks let's say of several years into the zombie apocalypse playing like a peewee football game 
gonna keep me entertained. In the, middle, <laughs> in the middle of like a zombie nightmare. I mean, yeah. My, I'm not knocking it because I think the shot looks great seeing those little things, but you have to think logically. <laughs> I just, I just think it comes down to the credits so that I can look here on the IMDb credit list so you can actually see here. Cave zombie hit by Billy's shovel, uncredited. Zombie football player, <laughs> Florida, uncredited. Short-haired female plaid shirt zombie eating flesh in lab, uncredited. Plaid shirt. Plaid shirt. Yep. There you go. And it's just, these are literally the names. Pompadour hairstyled zombie in Steel's death scene, uncredited. Uh- <laughs> I love that it has to be that elaborate. They can't just say Pompadour zombie. Pompadour zombie that slurps blood out of Miguel's wrist. Well, he, he's the best one. And this is played by the uh, ever-lovable uh, Bill Love. Portly bearded denim-shirted zombie walking out First National Bank with alligator, uncredited. <laughs> Okay, what is mustachioed zombie biting Rickles' fingers off? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hang on. Major Cooper's corpse, uncredited. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hang on. My favorite, cameo, uncredited. (laughs) It literally says cameo, uncredited. Portly bearded denim shirted zombie walking out of First National Bank with alligator. Colin, I just said that one. Um, Short term memory here. That'd be a, that'd be an edit point if we were professional, but uh, I just left it in <laughs> to make cheek. you sound dumb. He <laughs> <laughs> cheeked a zombie wearing blue jean jacket and velour t-shirt behind fisherman zombie. <laughs> Can you imagine like the actual actor who played these people? Like they've got their you know CV and their you know film reel that they send off to casting directors. Oh, I thought I recognised you as the gaunt, mustachioed, white striped sweated zombie shot by Still in Minds, uncredited. <laughs> Josephini! <laughs> uh, yeah, you got like six lines for your credits on your resume. Uh, but yeah, those things are all fun in the movie, and all the zombie action here is great. We basically have Bub escaping from his chains and seeing that Frankenstein is dead, and here's the sad moment where his creator dies. We get the Darth Vader. No! <laughs> Uh, I don't know why we're supposed to feel bad. I kind of do feel bad for Bub. We shouldn't, especially we shouldn't be feeling bad because Frankenstein of all people are dead. Um, but there's there's a fun moment here, Steel, the, the second in command to Rhodes in this, where he kind of gets his in the end. And the one zombie, I mean, he's about to get eaten alive, but the one zombie just rips off his hat. I don't know if the zombie, got your hat, Steel! <laughs> like... What a, talk about the wimpiest way to lead into a big epic death. He rips his hat off his head. And then, of course, we get Logan versus Bub, the showdown we've all been waiting for. And we get Logan running down the hall, limping. Now, this is where you talk about how the zombies moved a bit faster in this. And they definitely do, because Logan is limping. Can I and just interrupt you, Cole? You're talking about Rhodes here. Logan's dead. Yeah, remember. yeah, Rhodes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes is limping down the hall. And Bub can actually catch him. We just get Rhodes continually <laughs> screaming, Come on! <laughs> come, on. Now. come on, come on! Girl in mine! And, of course, he opens the door and a horde of zombies gets him and <laughs> rips him to pieces. None of the best effects in the movie. And Bub salutes. Oh, tear to my eye. I Amazing. Love I love it when he salutes. Oh, I, just, I love this whole sequence. I just love Joseph Pollard. Like, you fuck! You fuck! <laughs> it's just like... 
Come on! Come on! I, I just, one thing I actually we, we have not mentioned, this is kind of slightly sidetracked, and sorry if you were going to like lump more stuff into it. With Joseph Pilato, we should mention, he was in Dawn of the Dead. He was actually one of the officers. He was the officer asking if everybody has cigarettes. Um, <laughs> so there's actually a bit of a, a theory that Rhodes is still that character. And that he was just that cop and he somehow was also in the military and I don't know. I was reading some theory about it. But, um, yeah, that was his very first well, film role was uh, he that, was the officer at police dock in Dawn of the Dead. Is he the same? He's not the same one that's like, I think we should go to an island, any island. I, I, I don't know if that was the same one that was just asking everybody for cigarettes. But um, yeah. but and also, uh, Joseph Pilato would go on to be, uh, you know, he was in Pulp Fiction as a small role. Uh, he was in, uh, what else was he in? A few other things. But, of course, famously was in Digimon, the movie. Uh, oh. So, <laughs> he actually was Metal Greymon in all of Digimon. So, poor man's Pokemon. Uh, I don't know. Were, were you finished? Did I just interrupt you? Or am I meant to comment on this shit? No, I'm just, I was just going to say we might as well talk about the last scene because it's so brief. I thought this would be like a different climax like we had in the original. Uh, basically, our heroes. And this is where my complaint of the movie of are we supposed to like the characters? Well, yes, because Romero has told us there are three heroes from the beginning of the movie and all three of those heroes make it away. Another reason why this is a lot weaker than what we saw in uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, we get to the helicopter, we get a brief jump scare of the zombie jumping out and then they wake up on an island of zombie <laughs> the seagulls, baby. man. We basically get, like, they went there to make babies and apparently they made seagulls because that's all that exists on this island. Um, happy ending for the first time in a Romero movie. I don't know. When we're coming from the epic ending of Night of the Living Dead, where your hero gets shot just for sticking his face out of a window, and the epic ending of Dawn of the Dead, and then we get to this slightly disappointing end here. Yeah, well, I guess we kind of we've come to expect the the shocking ending, um, and I mean, I know we haven't exactly. Well, I'm, I don't know if you've seen the other ones, but I mean, we're not covering the other ones. Sorry, folks. Uh, when George Romero comes back as a zombie and then dies again, we will probably cover the other ones. Um, but yeah, I, it's kind of interesting how they do that with the ending. Uh, I just, I just wanted them to like be like, "Okay, Sarah, it's my turn to make the baby." Rowan Atkinson try to make the baby tomorrow, and at, at least like with those two, they would know who the father is of when she gives birth to a baby. So that's probably one positive. Um, but yeah, just backtracking, just the whole zombies in the. In the shaft, I, I just love all these epic death sequences of all these, you know, military people getting their comeuppances. We get heads ripped off and eyes ripped out, and just like hats taken off. Yeah, John Goodman shooting himself in the head. Um, and then I, I just love the scene when Rose is getting ripped to pieces, just with the guts coming out, and you know, it's it's so gory and gross. But at the same time, it's like. It's not, like, I felt like in Night of the Living Dead, there was a sequence there when they're biting the flesh off the bones. Like, it kind of was a bit like, ooh, that was a bit gruesome. Uh, you know, and sort of Dawn of the Dead, there was, you know, a few bits there. But this one, you, like, it's fucking disgusting, but you're kind of like, oh, that's awesome. Like, at, yeah. no, at no point, you're like, ooh, God, that, you know, puts me off my they're dinner. Like, yeah, they're like a cheering effect. So the ones you applaud for. I should say, though, this is, this is a funny story. As I'm finishing the movie, we're, we're eating dinner at the same time. Uh, or I'm eating. I'm eating first. Um, you take taking turns to eat in your house? Like, Jamie, well, you when, can't eat man-eats first in this house. When you, when, you, when you have a baby, you'll realize you basically can only have one person I'm eating. I'm never having a baby, Colin. Come on. <laughs> this is what happens on islands with babies. Men eat first. <laughs> but 
I'm eating and watching this, and Jamie looks at the TV and says, how can you eat dinner? She looked at one shot of the movie. She's like, how can you eat dinner during this? This is disgusting. And I'm just like, that ah, doesn't bother me. Now, we went to a used DVD music place today, and we found a bargain bin with a bunch of CDs. We're like, oh, let's get some like you know cheap old CDs. This is kind of cool. And I tried to fight her on it. She got, do you know who Terry Clark is? Absolutely. He's one of my favorite singer slash actor. I don't know. They're one of my favorite like, people who does uh, what they do. She's like a cowgirl hat wearing country singer. Uh, basically, yes, I'm sitting One of my favorite eating. genres. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm eating, watching zombies, and she's like, ugh, how can you watch this? This is disgusting. And then she puts on Terry Clark. I'm like, can you listen to it with the earphones or something? She's like, why? And I'm like, I just ate. <laughs> <laughs> music more revolting than people's intestines being ripped out while i'm eating is that, is that what you do when madonna comes on like oh i'm eating full-fledged lose my lunch after madonna comes I've on i just googled terry clark yeah she just yeah i have no idea the fuck she is she canadian or i i is she jamie is terry clark canadian Yes. <laughs> well, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you've sat through nearly two hours of this podcast to finally get the question answered that you wanted to hear. Is Terry Clark Canadian? <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, just my story about different things, disgusting, different people. <laughs> I'm just reading her discography life. here. She had a chart hit with I Just Want to Be Mad. It's probably Rhodes' favorite song. And I Want to Do It All. <laughs> Uh, she's a bit greedy, isn't she? It's all about you, isn't it, Terry? Oh, I want this. I want that. Do you want to talk about the... Oh, sorry. I thought I, I thought you were still talking about um, Terry. Terry Clark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, actually, it's funny, actually, because I was watching... Um, uh, Becoming Bond, coming soon to 007 and the Oz oh. Network. And I was eating a sandwich in the scene where uh, George Lazenby, Josh Lawson, was getting peed on by a baby. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, ugh, that's kind of gross. I don't want to eat my sandwich now. <laughs> that's a bit different to Terry Clark. <laughs> you know, considering there's a movie where two men are going to town on a woman at the same time, <laughs> uh, I'm amazed <laughs> That was what grossed you out in Becoming Bond. You, you're grossed out by two men going on a woman at the same time? What videos do you watch after dark? Oh, I'm used to that. I'm sorry, I don't like to watch two men enjoying watching each other. You really are a prude. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie was all into that shit, I'm sure. Like, oh. There were boobs in that movie, Colin. There, there were, were boobs. boobs you probably you probably watched that movie like, eh, boobs, ew. <laughs> Meeting. <laughs> Oh, Terry Clark soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what else I meant to add here. I I, li- <laughs> I like yeah. Bub saluting. That's funny. Um, yeah. And yeah, they're on an island. So <laughs> oh, they made it to the island. The baby, the baby island. <laughs> uh, can we give this island a name? Is it John's uh, <laughs> Baby Island making island making babies island? What is Terry it? Terry Clark Baby Island. We listen to the <laughs> Terry Clark and the making the love on the Baby Island. It's the, the oh, sorry. The... I had to Google whether Terry Clark was Canadian, and I've been staring at this page for the last minute, and I have to close it right now. I'm actually feeling nauseous. 
I'm just, I have no idea who the hell she is. <laughs> it's just country music in general. Like, if Alan Jackson was on, I'd probably, like... She literally is so up herself. Her other singles include If I Were You, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. Um, she has an <laughs> album called How I Feel. Like, she was born in Montreal. Who in Montreal is complaining and singing country music? Like, okay, I get the French side of things, but, like, legitimately... Yeah. Can we stop talking about her? I don't like her. She's stupid. (laughs) Go away, Terry Clark. Why is Jamie buying Terry Clark? She bought that, Destiny's Child, and Boys to Men. (laughs) Two of them are fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with a bit of Destiny's Child and Boys to Men. We all get in those moods sometimes. (laughs) You get in Boys to Men moods where you want to listen about four men having sex. Well, like, Colin, it's 2017. Just get a bit open-minded, all right? (laughs) I'm not open-minded enough to listen to Terry Clark. <laughs> I want to learn about boys becoming men, and then I want to learn about their child that has a destiny, all right? I'm open-minded. <laughs> We're sorry to the memory of George Romero. <laughs> we talked about Veronica's Closet last episode. Now we're talking yeah. about boys to men and destiny's child. Well, actually, speaking of music, here's a good segue. This is all planned, because we're getting into a segue. <laughs> what the fuck was with that song at the end? This is a fucking zombie movie, and this is not like... Yeah. 80s love ballad at the end. We survived the zombies. Now we have <laughs> babies on a baby island. It's the 80s, motherfucker. Like, what is with that song? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, The movie just didn't end well. And it had a good climax. So it's sad that... Climax! Climax! Sorry. Um, <laughs> that was a reference. You get that's it. Double on seven. That's how Rhodes refers to the end of this movie. Climax! <laughs> what thing? What uh, again, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you here, but I just I found it really interesting that the extras who played zombies, you know, all those great characters that we just said in the credits, uh, they were paid a dollar, uh, a cap that said, yeah. I played a zombie in Day of the Dead, uh, and a copy of the newspaper from the beginning of the film that says, The Dead Walk! That's yeah. all I had to say. <laughs> good trivia. <laughs> I can read that super long trivia one before that I was avoiding. <laughs> no, no, that is good trivia. Um, but yeah, I guess this is the end of George Romero's trilogy. And who knows if he had a plan to continue after this. Uh, there was, what, a 12-year gap? What year? Night of Living Dead was 67. So we're looking at an 11- or 12-year gap between the first two movies. Uh, here we had a seven-year gap, and it would be at least 20, 21 years before he followed up with Land with the Dead. But I kind of feel like he wanted this to be the last one. Uh, why he came back to it, I don't know. Uh, overall, I don't know. Do we want to? Before we get to our reviews, let's let's talk about some of the things in closing here. Uh, so, Day of the Dead, critically not quite as loved as the first two movies. I don't think. There's any critics out there who are saying it compares to the first two. Um, but overall, I guess today's reviews are pretty solid. It holds an 82% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is about 10% lower than Dawn of the Dead and about 14% lower than Night of the Living Dead. But still, not bad. And some of the, I'm going to love some of these reviews here. Uh, Roger Ebert sums up very well. Roger Ebert gave incredible reviews to the first two Night of the Living Dead movies. This one, he gave one and a half stars. Uh, he was put off by the overacting, um, specifically all the actors screaming at each other for the entire film. Um, that pretty much echoed exactly what I was thinking this entire movie. Uh, some of the other ones, um, reviews criticizing, I guess, the lack of character development we had from the first one. Uh, 
the acting for the most part, as we said, not really up far, and not really like Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead had great acting. So when you have a trilogy like this of B movies and you get this much criticism for the acting, there really was. I, I think we're not really jumping into conclusions to say that overacting was a problem in this movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm reading a few of these ones as well. Um, and, I mean, there's nothing really I disagree with. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, I still feel you can slightly give the overacting a little bit of a pass. Slightly, but not... It's a much. horror movie. Yeah, and this is the thing. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's not fucking Shakespeare. Um, not that... Did he write horror? I don't know. I think I read, like, one Shakespeare book in school. I avoided it. That's why I'm dumb. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know how to read. What am I talking about? Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like I I certainly like what I was saying about the character development. I, I kind of think almost it felt deliberate that there wasn't meant to be any in this film. But um, yeah, the one thing I found interesting about here, reading all like the you're saying how it's like the least successful on that out of all of them, is that uh, it made a lot of money back on VHS sales. Of course, I mean yeah. I guess we should mention you know the eighties. That's kind of when VHSs were a thing. Uh, and obviously, Billboard used to have the top VHS sales chart, um, and it made it to number twenty-three. I don't know if that beat out Terry Clark's like greatest hits on VHS <laughs> that year or something like that. Uh, it's probably called "I Have a VHS." Um, <laughs> I beat zombies on yeah. Billboard. Terry Clark. <laughs> I press play on a VHS. Um, I beat Betamax. Uh, I don't know. Fuck Terry Clark, you bitch. Um, but. <laughs> Anyway, I've lost my trailer short. I've lost my trailer short. There you go. That made well, sense. I mean, you did say the least successful. I mean, box office grows way down from Dawn of the Dead. And you know, it's funny because when we're looking at this style of horror movie, you know, we said how Night of the Living Dead really started it. And even at the time Dawn of the Dead came out, this really wasn't a big thing. Not just zombies, but even this style of kind of shock, violent uh, gore. It really wasn't a thing until a few years later. I would say it was uh, a combination of like the Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th, you know, the slasher films of the 80s that really brought this in. So for Day of the Dead to come out kind of at the height of that, when this is the guy who put this on a map and kept horror on the map for a long time, for this movie to do so poorly, I mean, it made like less than $6 million in North America, total gross. Uh, Much bigger overseas, but still, I mean, you're looking at a huge drop. It's kind of surprising that this movie that played up more, as we mentioned on that whole gore, than the previous ones did, and more on the scares uh, and more on the effects, why it did fail. I mean, I'm not saying it's the greatest movie ever made, but for the time period it came out, and this seemed like it would have been the perfect movie to really get that audience, except for the only thing I think of is that you're looking at a teen audience at that point. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, those are all movies that are geared towards and featuring young characters. And here you have middle-aged people people in an underground bunker. And if there's anything we know about 80s teenagers, they hate middle-aged people in bunkers. So it was yeah. never... Was, I mean, was they that... hate that and country music. Yes. Well, they're just logical in that aspect. But, I mean, do you, do you think it's like the fatigue aspect as well? I mean, people were... I mean, I don't know, in terms of 1985 how many of these were getting released a year, but I know kind of yeah. weird reference, and I know you're going to hate me for bringing up Timothy Dalton, but, I mean, in all seriousness, like, I mean, you look at the two Timothy Dalton films of the 80s and a lot of that kind of, we saw the direction they were taking, particularly License to Kill and kind of, you know, jumping on that kind of vibe of how films were done at that point, and it obviously didn't too, do too well for a, 
for a Bond audience, but I mean, this isn't a Bond audience. It's a horror film audience. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that point. Um, Terry Clark, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Day of the Dead ended up, you know, we said the Dawn of the Dead got remade by Zack Snyder. And I remember a few years after that, there was the Day of the Dead remake, which was never really intended to be connected to that, but it was remade with Bing Rames, who was also in Dawn of the Dead, so a lot of people believe those two are connected. I've never seen that movie. Um, apparently, there's another remake. I don't know if it's out yet or not of Day of the Dead. The remake uh, of the remake of the remake. Welcome to 2017. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I don't know. I guess this movie has a legacy, and its uh, its reputation has improved over the years. Uh, Day of the Dead Bloodline, there we go. Uh, still to come out later this year. I don't know if that's going to be another remake or a uh, spin-off or something. Is it an actual, like, a theatrical release, or is it like a TV movie with Casper Van Dien like in straight, it? Or like that? Yeah, straight, straight to Blu-ray with Casper Van Dien. So Casper Van Dien is going to be awesome. Cool. Yeah, the exactly. King of TV movies. <laughs> Coming soon. Ah, Roach! <laughs> ah, Zombies! The sequel to Ah, Roach! <laughs> But I guess this movie has a legacy, and its reputation, as I said, has improved over the years. So I think, critically, a lot of those modern-day reviews are bumping it up. I'm not sure what people see in it. Uh, do we want to jump into our reviews here? Ben, you've had some good defenses of this movie. Some You've changed my mind on a couple of my complaints I've had throughout really? this. Good job. You've is, done something on this on? podcast, positively. Do that and die another day? Like, like, no, never happened. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, no. No. Uh, Let's rank this final one of the original George Romero Dead trilogy. Is it a buy it, uh, a rent it, or a bin it? Or a rip open with your hands and, I don't know, what number 726 category we're up to. Uh, one thing, I actually, just on the Wikipedia page, just really quickly, I love the photo here that you've got of um, Joseph Pilato with Ken Forey, that's his name, and uh, yeah. David M.G. Or whatever, M.G. Uh, <laughs> David <laughs> There's a vowel missing in that name somewhere, I feel. Is this where you uh, very poorly mispronounced Scott Ranginger's name last week? John Smythe? Um, it's like E-N-G-E. There's like an I missing. Surely there's a vowel in there somewhere. Um, but there's obviously they have Living Dead Conventions, which is kind of cool. Um, but anyway. Yeah, look, I don't know what I'm doing with this film because I, I kind of like... I. I Sort of even talking through this, like I just kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> like I just, I weirdly enjoyed it more so than the reviews are saying, and it's kind of, I feel if I buy it, I feel bad because I only like rented Night of the Living Dead, and that's like the quintessential classic. But again, I shouldn't really have to apologise that because I like Die Another Day. So um, clearly, I've got a fucked up uh, opinion of things. Fuck it, I'm going to buy it just because I just feel like oh, I could, wow. wa- I could watch this again and just like have fun and not shit myself when the arms come through the wall. I just. I don't know, it's kind of... I mean, I like Dawn of the Dead a lot better. This would be just uh, on the fringe of rent and buy, like in that middle section, and I'm just going to put it over the edge, but Dawn of the Dead is definite buy. Um, but I don't know, I just I, I enjoyed this again, similar to Dawn of the Dead, a lot more than I was anticipating. And I'm not trying to be mean to Night of the Living Dead. It's not that I didn't like that. Maybe it just comes down to also... Still rented it. My, yeah, exactly. It also comes down to, I guess, I'm, a, I'm not a huge fan of old movies. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna buy it. Fuck it. I'm feeling I'm feeling risky today. Wow. Um, You're obviously not gonna buy it. So. <laughs> no. Like to be perfectly honest, I'm sitting on the fence of binning it and renting it because there are parts of this that I would want to rent. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I would rent this movie and kind of fast. You know, when you were a kid, 
you'd watch a movie and you may want to fast forward a lot of the boring talking scenes. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Or is that just me? Um, it depends. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of boring talking movies when I was a kid. I watched movies that kids watched and they're generally well, that, boring talking scenes. Yeah. I didn't really watch kids movies growing up, but, uh, no, <laughs> clearly, but- clearly not the type of movies though, where two men and a woman are like getting it on. That's, that's <laughs> such a shock value. They do that. That's disgusting. I've never heard of a spit roast. There's a word I never thought I would have used on the Oz Network, spit roast, in the context it's not the meat. Well, one you should. Uh, but no, like... is so shocked. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> but I don't know. There's parts of this I really like, but ultimately I think I would have to say Bennett uh, just because I think there was a much better way to make this movie and maybe Romero could have done that on a bigger budget. I don't think he was quite as focused on this. If I ever did rent this, I wouldn't bother to watch it all the way through. I would be skipping a lot of stuff here. <laughs> you would Perez but, in terms of you'd rent it but not watch it. The Perez Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I would probably have to say Bennett for this wow. one. But it's a positive bin in that <laughs> I'm not going to bin this and set it on fire and then pee on it to put out the flames so I don't set fire to the rest of my apartment and my Make child and my Terry wife. Terry Clark. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this isn't like next to Terry Clark in the compost pile. It's just sort of like, eh, you know, I'll sell it uh, at a table at a yard sale one day. <laughs> so, so basically you're a positive bean and I'm a negative buy. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> basically, I said we rented this. <laughs> so kind of like if you have a scale where it's like 33, 33, 33, and like, you know, the, the percentages and shit. I'm trying to do math here. It's not really working. But Sorry. like, I would be on like 67%, which takes it just over into the buy, and you're on like a 33%, which is just hovering under rent it, essentially. Yeah. That's my weird scale. That is, this is the first time then... That at least for you and I, I think in terms, I don't know, I have to go through the TV shows, but we've had such a discrepancy in terms of a buy and a bin. I know in um, our Nip Tuck and Third Watch ones, there was at least one where I binned and Col- uh, your Colin, Nick bought, and in the Third Watch, I think there was a bin and buy there is. But it's rare that we kind of get one on either end of the spectrum. Even Spider Man 3, I rented yeah. and not bought it. So And Amazing Spider Man, I rented and you bin, so it's. Yeah, we were closer on all those. But the funny thing is, is that we probably disagreed more in our other ones where we yeah. were closer together. <laughs> I don't think and we disagreed were... on this. <laughs> we didn't disagree on anything. <laughs> What's going I'm on? It, you're buying it. What's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, that that a first here on the Oz Network. There you go. Yeah, uh, I know it's groundbreaking. People are going to be blowing up on Twitter about it tomorrow. <laughs> Both our listeners, when they get Twitter, will, uh... <laughs> I just got Twitter to blow up about this! And by the way, Terry Clark is awesome. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> We're sorry. Terry Clark, all it is is country music in general. It's nothing personal. Uh, so George Romero would take a 30-year... 20-year absence. I'm really bad with the Jesus, map. Colin. <laughs> a 20-year absence before coming back with Land of the Dead, which in a way would almost be interesting to cover. I don't know. We'll uh, Maybe we'll revisit that We've got a few point. other things to do be- between then. Yeah. So we'll just wait uh, for his like, son to die or something like that. Or... <laughs> but, I mean, he did get consistent enough to do three movies back-to-back following this, which were Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. Uh, I feel like I have seen Land of the Dead. It definitely fits more with this original trilogy style of just the same type of plan, uh, same type of characters and setting, or just different settings, but same type of plot and everything. 
Whereas after that, he went off on Diary of the Dead Survival of the Dead, doing completely different ideas um, and even filming techniques where he just wanted to sort of set them in this universe as a way to sell the movie. And there's two so, more coming out I'm reading here as well. So we have Road of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead Origins. Yeah. And I think Road <laughs> of the Dead was the one he was working on before his death. So that one, I don't, he had an involvement in it and maybe even written it. Uh, but I know that he was planning to make that. The Night of the Living Dead Origins, that one's probably just going to be spun off, you know, completely original ideas. Well, well, but I think that, I mean, that's an interesting thing. I, I guess this kind of, in a way, you can think of like the Terminator series where, like, before they started going shit, you know, after the third one, basically, we kind of always got these stories about the future, about, like, you know, Armageddon, you know, Judgment Day, and how, you know, John Connor had to come back and all that sort of stuff. You never, ever got to see the actual the the war you know you just heard about it whereas this is kind of like that isn't it like we know these zombies exist we know they're out there we know they're killing people but we've never actually seen the lead up until what happens i guess like i am legend you kind of got that news report and sort of loosely but we've had no context as to why this is happening except for what a probe from venus so like Mm -hmm. maybe that's what night of the living dead origins is finally going to be like this is what happened before Night of the Living Dead. This is when the Venus thing came about and he's Agent One, you know, Bub's dad or something like that. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I would be intrigued to see kind of how this all happened and how we got to the point where Rhodes is getting his guts ripped open. And we know Rhodes will be the main character in <laughs> Living Dead Origins. It hasn't worked since 1985. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just interesting, like, we talk about the box off of this one and... I don't know, 20 years later, it was given a much bigger budget to do Land of the Dead and much bigger cast. I mean, you look at the cast of Land of the Dead, you had like Dennis Hopper and Simon Baker, you know, it was a much bigger deal. And I remember the promotion when that came out, uh, kind of thinking, well, this movie's going to be big. And, you know, it did okay, uh, probably about what you'd expect. But the box office of Land of the Dead was slightly higher than what the box office of Day of the Dead was worldwide, except it was 20 years later. Then you go to Diary of the Dead, and the box office is in single digits worldwide. Then you get to Survival of the Dead, and the box office is in hundreds of thousands worldwide. You know, so this series definitely he continued to make it just for the love of the genre, which I think is what a lot of people love about Romero. I mean, he he definitely had his peak at one point, but his overall career, despite having some big blockbusters, he just spent his last year is just making movies for the fun of it in this universe that he created, even though the movies could have really taken place anywhere. And I think that's something I kind of appreciated. A lot of times he say they're making these movies for the money. He clearly was not making the dead movies for the money at the end. He was making them just to do interesting projects that he wanted to do. I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in seeing land of the dead, Simon Baker, Tasmanian proud of him because no Tasmanian realizes he's actually from Tasmania. Um, I didn't know he was. Seriously, seriously, well, that's like legitimately. Like, could I, he I, very well be the most handsome human being to ever come out of Tasmania? Well, besides myself, but like he would easily be. Could he two. very well be the most handsome man to come out of Tasmania? <laughs> I suppose he's actually out of Tasmania right now. I'm there at the prison, but like, it's, it's legitimate. Like everyone he knows, he's Australian. But it's yeah. like it's honestly, I can tell anybody who's the most avid TV and movie fan who know. Oh, he's Simon Baker, and I turn around as soon as I say, you know, he's Tasmanian. What? Like <laughs> but he's so handsome. <laughs> he hasn't got a second head. But it's like whenever people talk about like these famous Tasmanians, he's never on the list. And I'm like, he'd be up there probably like top five. People talk about Essie Davis, who is a great actress. You would have no idea who she is because she's kind of oh, only yeah. been big here. She was in, I think, like two of the Matrix sequels. 
and she just had a cameo, or at least was some sort of character in Game of Thrones. She's more known for a lot of the stuff that she does here, and she's she's a great actress. I've interviewed her. She's a lovely lady. She's fantastic. But I would argue Simon Baker has had more success. I mean, The Mentalist was huge, and he was, what, in The Guardian? Do you remember The Guardian? Mm. You know? Yeah. Hashtag yeah, Simon I'm- Baker's hot. <laughs> <laughs> And all that Winnipeg ever produced was Anna Paquin and Nia oh, Vardalis. I'll gladly have Anna Paquin. <laughs> Not Nia Vardalis. <laughs> yeah, sure, but Anna Paquin. <laughs> <laughs> and Suki! Daniel- it's Suki! <laughs> Daniel Gillies going back to our Spider-Man recaps. John Jameson. The delicious John Jameson. Oh, Winnipeg's so much better than you guys. But, but, but all said that Simon Baker is born in Launceston and not Hobart, so he's got that whole northern thing about him. He drinks bows. That's why he's so handsome. No, it's okay. he's, he's smart <laughs> to leave that shithole. Hello to all our Launceston listeners. Let's be honest, someone's from Launceston is listening because that means you have to have like technology to listen to shit. Uh, look, this kind of is predictable as far as years goes, but if we were to rank this original trilogy... I'm guessing yours is going to go the way you rated these movies, which would go Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead. I would, yes. But uh, can I just say with Dawn of the Dead, uh, sorry, Day of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, I mean, they're still very, like, close. I mean, uh, again, people are like, oh, I'm being so fucking stupid, Night of the Living Dead's a classic, blah, 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 blah. But, like, I, I guess, again, I'm my mental capacity, which <laughs> you're going to laugh at that. Uh, <laughs> I think, like, if I look at a lot of my ratings sometimes as it's a Saturday night, I'm bored, I've got nothing to do. That is legitimately my life right now. It's not just a Saturday night, it's every fucking night. So, like, if I just, I'm like, oh, lazy, what am I going to put on? You know, after I watch Die Another Day, I'm probably going to, like, want to put on, like, you know, Day of the Dead. And it's, it's more of a just, like, what is going to entertain me? You know, clearly it's two men having sex with a woman in a spit roast. But that is... <laughs> Shut up, better Just answer the question properly without trying to be funny. You're not funny. So why Simon Baker leaves and gets attractive. You're stuck in Tasmania. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would probably... Uh, who's in Devil Wears Prada, of course, too? That's a good movie. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> You're just really stuck on Simon Baker. I'm looking at a photo of him. He's just so attractive. That's it. Land of the Dead next week, just like, for Simon Baker. Seriously? Like, how can a human being be that attractive? It's not fair. <laughs> He's very just- Distracting. Yeah. And it's like, he's also so nice. It's not like, you know, like Daniel Craig's hot, right? But like Daniel Craig's a bit of a prick sometimes. Like Simon Baker, like he's just a nice guy. Like, you know, he's like <laughs> Hugh Jackman. No one dislikes Hugh Jackman and he's hot. Yeah. Well, is that, so that's <laughs> I'm getting gayer point. every single episode we do on this show. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like so single, I'm just turning gay. <laughs> Um, there's anything wrong with that I would gladly be gay <laughs> I would happily be gay but I'm not <laughs> <laughs> there's still some women left there by the time we do Devil Wears Prada I'm completely gay <laughs> oh isn't Meryl Streep fantastic Dirty Dancing coming soon oh shit Dirty we're doing that aren't we <laughs> we're doing Titanic though sorry <laughs> Ben, you already are gay. <laughs> hey, you can see Kate with those boobs in that. That's enough to not be gay. All right, let's get back to George Romero. <laughs> oh, damn, I thought we were into Titanic already. Shit. Uh, my rankings here, before we jump into final words on Romero, uh, I would go Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. I think they progressively get worse. Um, it would be interesting to almost do the other ones just to see if any of them are better than Day of the Dead. But uh, We've got other yeah, things I, to do. <laughs> Dirty Dancing. What's that? <laughs> Dirty Dancing? <laughs> better than Day of the Dead? <laughs> Let's say we've got other things to do, like, you know, Dirty Dancing yeah. and all that. More important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
No, I guess final words on George Romero, what he brought to this series, what he brought to movies. You know, I know you're not familiar with a lot of his other movies. I am familiar with some of them. Um, his movies all feel different. You know, even the dead movies all feel different. I feel like David and Dawn of the Dead are very similar, but even still, you could tell somebody these all had different directors and they would have no clue. But yet he brings something interesting to all the movies, what I've been praising the whole time, that every character is completely different. There's no like cookie cutter, oh, these guys are all interchangeable. The characters all are representing something, you know, some type of uh, level of panic or fear that they're showing on screen and they're all different from each other and i think the other thing i praise a lot in these movies is just the way he jumped back and forth between not oh let's have a scene that calms the audience down let's have a scene that almost convinces them this movie's a comedy all of a sudden and then just do something completely disgusting and revolting and terrifying like playing terry clark's uh i am zombie (laughs) (laughs) in the background it's a horror movie But I mean, there's so many just really clever things he did in these movies. And even the things we're criticizing, there's interesting ideas behind them. Uh, He invented this genre and he handled it in a way where you're looking back on these movies, you know, you saying, well, I don't really get old movies. Uh, Neither of us being huge horror movie fans, you not really watching anything other than I Am Legend. (laughs) And yet... Terry Clark's greatest hits on DVD. (laughs) And yet we're completely agreeing that like, the things we're seeing here, some of it holds up well today. Some of it's still revolutionary today. Some some of these things people still haven't caught on to and how clever this is. So, I mean, his legacy's like, there's no debating it. His, his legacy's going to stand forever. Well, anybody who likes a good torture porn movie in terms of, like, actually people getting ripped to bits, not the porn I was talking with spit roast, but, like you got to thank George Romero for it because, I mean, you know, I guess we kind of went back and, you know, right back to Night of Living Dead when we're talking about, like, these horrifically gruesome scenes which, okay, are slightly lost on us now, but, you know, in 1968 or whenever it was, like, that shit would have, you know, caused some major nightmares for some people. Um, so, I mean, you know, and, like, you can debate whether that's a good or a bad thing. I mean, I know, obviously, there'd be a lot of people, that's disgusting, why do we need to see somebody getting their guts ripped out? But, I mean... It's it's that shock value, and it's kind of it, it does definitely come down to him. And uh, yeah, you're right. Like I'm not completely familiar with any much of his work at all. I mean, when he died, I'd heard of him. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it's a positive, right? That guy you said before that was like a Oscar nominee that died. I was like, oh yeah, him. What a sad day that was. But like, um, it probably was. He's probably a nice guy. George Romero that looks like a nice guy. This photo I'm looking at him. He's got like the biggest glasses in the world. But he's got, like, this smile on his face. You're like, oh, he'd be a nice granddad. Like, you know, come over and have a scone and a cup of tea or something like that. I, I don't know. And a connection to Canada, Colin. He died in Canada. So there's Oh, just... we killed George Romero. <laughs> he did. All right. You know, there's other Canadians. There's Roger Moore all over again. Where did Roger Moore die? Did he die in Canada too? Probably. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's I've, I've enjoyed these three. I, I think kind of when... Um, we first suggested this, and we initially were just going to start with Night of the Living Dead. I'm kind of like, oh, that sounds fun. Um, but I actually really did enjoy these. And I guess, um, you know, I mean, would I watch other George Romero films? Probably. I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how the other three go in this series. And maybe I'll just watch them for shits and gigs because I can. But, uh, I mean, horror is kind of always a genre where it's not like I've ever been like, oh, no, I will never watch horror. It's just 
something that has never really appealed to me grand scheme of things. My sister like loves the shit out of this stuff. You know, she she would all be into this, and she probably knows these films back to front. If I talked to her, I'd probably know that, but I I haven't talked to her because she's my sister. But it's it's <laughs> hello Lindsay, if you're listening. But like yeah, I I I I just I would be intrigued to kind of see and like other influences in a lot of these horror films that kind of came out after Night of Living Dead because clearly he did influence that. And, like, the whole zombie thing, like, I mean, it's it's the one thing that I've never gotten is why people are like, ah, oh, zombies, they're awesome. It's like, I can see, like, how vampires are kind of cool and, you know, like, ghosts and aliens and shit, but, like, zombies? I'm like, really? Like, they're dead things. But after seeing these films, I've kind of like, okay, yeah, they've got some redeeming feet. Like, Bub's cool. I'd hang out with Bub. Bub's a good. Bub's you a have guy. him over for a scone and some tea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, clown zombie. Yeah, he seems all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's obviously very sad when you lose kind of such an icon of cinema. And and I guess what we want to do on this show is, you know, a lot of it isn't necessarily which you probably don't believe, given that pretty much all the films we've talked about. Oh, I love this film. I love this film. Like, it's not always about just what you and I like. It's it's about the listeners, and we're just trying to open our minds open to a lot of things, you know, hence why uh, Swept Away is coming soon when we finally do the whatever that sh- practical sh- whatever the fuck it's called. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling again. Spit roast. I'll just end with that. All right. Um, that wraps up George Romero's dead, original dead trilogy. <laughs> so you're um, just going to say, that wraps up George Romero's dead series. <laughs> that wraps it up. Now. George Romero's dead. <laughs> Show's over. Podcast's cancelled. Uh, we're off to some islands to make some babies. <laughs> baby, uh, baby island to George Romero. Uh, what other episodes do you have coming up in the next few days? Uh, we will say, for all those people listening, waiting for The Amazing Race Canada, you're going to wait a little longer, because... Uh, I'm on vacation this week, and uh, don't need to be for... recording more. <laughs> <laughs> if I was Ben on vacation, I'd be recording. Lots of vacation, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be a week behind, and that's so we'll do another double episode to catch that up. And uh, we are on what now? Uh, episode number sixty-eight out of the last thirty days of uh, Survivor Australia. Yeah, something like that. Uh, we'll be finished by 2019 at this rate, so um, <laughs> expecting the 417 exit interviews in the next week. Um, yeah, no, we're we're uh, week three uh, <laughs> into Australian Survivor, and we've had like what seven episodes. So um, yeah, that that's that's continuing. Obviously, uh, third watch and Nip Tuck is still going on as well. Which I mean, look, they're they're doing great. But uh, we also, obviously, uh, we're looking at doing something interesting, which I'll let you talk about this. I'm not going to steal your thunder in terms of what we're next planning. Because we've got some big months coming up in terms of movies and what we're trying to at least look ahead to. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a few weeks left in August, which I guess is the end of the summer break. We may have a couple of little episodes in there. But uh, we do have a lot of big releases coming out, the two big ones being Justice League and Star Wars. So... Gary, we're not going to tell you what we're doing yet for those, but we will be doing a month lead up into both Justice League and Star Wars, as well as a Christmas month, which uh, will have some special episodes and a special trilogy in there. Uh, but we might as well just say what we're going to be doing in September right now. Uh, September is going to be anniversary month here on the Oz Network because it is the... Colin and our anniversary. Since yeah, that's right. <laughs> Celebrating our love. <laughs> Don't talk about the Spitfire or whatever that was. <laughs> I was going to say Jamie was going to make us some mac and cheese again, but um, yeah. you, <laughs> sure. Uh, but anniversary month, basically, we're going to have four weeks in a row where we're going to be recapping 
movies that are celebrated. Like we said, we, we don't want to always just do movies we're huge fans of. Sometimes we just want to do random episodes of movies that are relevant, like when somebody dies. So <laughs> coming up for anniversary month, we will have four anniversaries, two movies we're going to say that are celebrating their 20th anniversary, one that's celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, and another that's celebrating its 30th anniversary. And we might as well just say what the first one is. Ben, what's our first one? Uh, what, are, what is our first I don't know what we're starting with. <laughs> I think we might as well start with the big one. Um, White men can't jump. I mean, I talked about <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> I was going to say the most successful uh, film of all time. White men can't jump. Um, yeah, Titanic. I look. It's twenty years. Can you believe it's been twenty years since Titanic sunk? Uh, no, it's actually been about one hundred and five years since the Titanic sunk. But uh, the movie which sunk all box office records. Um, I fucking love Titanic. Like Colin, ah, it's only good for like twenty minutes. Oh. Fuck you. It's an amazing film. Um, it's the first movie <laughs> I ever cried in. I was ten years old. But Colin probably cried in it for different reasons. Oh, the iceberg looks so fake. Um, but I look, I I think you and I kind of have differing opinions on like chick flicks, and we're going to do that at one point. Jamie's going to suggest us some, you know, Sailor Moon and shit. But um, like, there are some chick flicks that you and I kind of like, but I, I wouldn't even necessarily classify Titanic as uh, it's chick flicky. It is a chick flick. But there are some aspects of Titanic that's not a chick flick. That's uh, only because it's five hours. <laughs> That's only the first part of it. Um, <laughs> but, like, I just, I've always loved this. I, I legitimately, I shouldn't even give my background, and I'll talk about this again in the episode, but, like, as soon as I did the uh, 3D re-release for, like, the 100th anniversary of the sinking, I'm like, I'm seeing that on, like, opening day. Because like, I didn't see this at the cinemas when I was 10 years old. It took, I remember getting this on VHS. I think my dad or my mum got it for their birthday, and it was a big deal. Like, all four of us, like, my mum, my dad, my sister, and I, we all sat down and watched it together. You know, because it's like, oh, this is like this movie everyone's talking about. Um, and yeah, I just I, I just can't wait to do this. Again, it does go for like 30 hours. We better start watching it now if we're going to like podcast about <laughs> it in a week. September. We'll get about half of it done. But um, I just I just love Titanic. And I'm going to say this now because you're going to rip shit into me during the episode. People are going to rip shit into me already. And they know I'm going to say it. But My Heart Will Go On is a great song. So shut up. I prefer the closing credits theme song from Day of the Dead, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's no Die Another Day, but it's still a great film song. Uh, Rest in peace, Ian Dion. <laughs> uh, let's just say I don't have the same opinion as Ben. I'm not also not going to let people think I'm one of these people who's like, oh, the movie was so successful, so I hate it. No, I have legitimate reasons why I think this is a terrible movie. But there are some things that I think are okay about it, about 15 minutes, maybe well, 20 should, a bit We generous. should mention, though, like, in, in all seriousness, what we're doing with the four movies, I guess, we chose. I mean, I guess we can say what they are. I mean, if you want to yeah. tease, I don't know. But, like, we kind of went on the notion that we've chosen a film, Face Off, uh, that we both love. Uh, a, a film that, I guess, I don't necessarily want to say I don't love because I've never seen it. It could be my favourite movie of all time. Uh, that we both necessarily don't like, I guess, Dirty Dancing. That's mm-hmm. 30 years old. Uh, yes, we're doing Dirty Dancing, ladies and gentlemen. Get excited. I've had the time of my life, and you will listening to our show. <laughs> Colin and I will, will end that episode with a duet, all right? We will yeah. sing it together. Uh, a movie that I like that Colin doesn't necessarily like, Titanic, and your movie that you're choosing that you like, and that, again, I'm not necessarily saying I don't like it because I've never seen it, but Colin, what movie have you chosen for that? This is the oddest movie ever for a child to have worshipped, and it is Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson's first team-up, White Man Can't Jump, 25 years old this year. 
completely obsessed with that movie when I was a kid. I like the song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, all of these movies, except for Face Off, I don't know the iconic movie song from Face Off. Um, my face is being ripped off, motherfucker. Um, but like <laughs> That was the iconic song from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Each of these films, again, we could always anniversary month and iconic movie song month. <laughs> because I mean, I mean okay white men can't jump isn't necessarily the most successful song of all time but I've had the time of my life and my heart will go on often regarded in like the top 10 most successful songs from a movie of all time so yeah, like if, them or not they are very successful songs <laughs> yeah coming soon Oz music uh... <laughs> <laughs> that would be even more to we will talk this about... week on Terry Clark Oz fuck <laughs> off fuck off die fuck off <laughs> Uh, the title of Terry Clark's next album is I Was Talked About on a Podcast. <laughs> you imagine interviewing her? We've got Terry Clark. Yes, that's me. I'm <laughs> here. Um, but that will be coming soon for Movies for Anniversary Month and then many more things to come through the end of the year, as well as lots of Nip Tuck and Third Watch. <laughs> and, and also, we should mention reviews. Like, I, I think we teased uh, yeah. the, the big sick uh episode which is coming um and we might see I we mean, know we'll are, are you seeing the dark tower are you doing the dark tower where we might be doing the dark tower again we're on vacation this week we could fit it in maybe we'll do a dark tower episode which would be interesting because i know there's a lot of very vocal fans out there for that one and the uh, obviously the other one being logan lucky with daniel craig and oh, adam yeah, we're doing that you know we're doing that <laughs> yeah so a couple of daniel craig is a like bleach blonde southern american what more can you not want to see uh, Ken Forey and <laughs> <laughs> John from this movie. Name here. <laughs> I think we've gone this whole movie without actually. Did we mention the actor's name of Megan Baby Man? John. What is what is his name? Do you have it? Uh, I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hang on, hang on. This is great. We could have edited this out, but we didn't. Uh, Terry Alexander Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh,. I guess the only way to end this episode is to do it in Terry Alexander's voice. My name is Colin, and I will not be making babies for a few more years. And my name is Ben, and I want to have Simon Baker's babies. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.